order. Roll call, Mr. Steele. Thank you. Commissioner Alexander? Here. Vice President Bogus? Here. Commissioner Shu? Here. Commissioner Matamidi? Commissioner Sanchez? Here. Commissioner Wiseman Ward? President Lamb? Here. Thank you. At this time, before the board goes into closed session, I call for any speakers to the closed session items listed in the agenda. There will be a total of five minutes for speakers. Are there any speakers for public comment? Seeing none in person. If, uh, if you're on Zoom and you care to speak to, um, to any of the items in closed session, please raise your hand at this time. Seeing none. Thank you. So at this time, I'll call a recess um, of this meeting and go into closed session.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
vote on student expulsion matters. I move approval of the stipulated expulsion agreement of one middle school student, matter number 2223, number six from the district for the remainder of the fall semester 2022 suspended enforcement of the expulsion for spring 2023. I move approval of the stipulated expulsion agreement of one middle school student, matter number 2022, I'm sorry, yes, 2022 to 2023, number seven, from the district for the remainder of the fall semester 2022, suspended enforcement of the expulsion for spring 2023. Can I have a second, please? Second. Thank you. Roll call vote, Mr. Steele. Thank you. On six and seven, Commissioner Alexander. Yes. Vice President Bogus. Yes. Commissioner Shu. Yes. Commissioner Matamidi. Yes. Commissioner Sanchez. Yes. Commissioner Wiseman Ward. Yes. President Lamb. Yes. Seven eyes. Thank you. Roll call, I'm sorry, report from closed session. In five matters of anticipated litigation, the board gave direction to general counsel in the matter of student JR versus SF Unified OAH, case number 202209. 0405, the board by a vote of seven eyes gives the authority of the district to pay up to the stipulated amount. In the matter of student EH versus SFUSD, OAH case number 2022-090816 by the, vote, the board by a vote of four, seven eyes gives authority of the district to pay up to the stipulated amount. In the matter of student JM versus SFUSD, OAH, case number 2022-090572, the board by a vote of seven eyes give the authority of the district to pay up to the stipulated amount. In the matter of student TO versus SFUSD, OAH, case number 2022-090181, the board a vote of seven eyes uh, vote it gives the authority to the district to pay up to the stipulated amount. And finally, um, in the matter of student JT versus SFUSD, OAH case number 2022-080754, the board by vote of seven eyes voted, voted um, to give the authority of the district to pay up to the stipulated amount. And that concludes the readout from closed session. Now um, going to agenda item D, our action tonight, amendment to the agreement for services with Alvarez and Marcel Public Sector Services uh, to assess um, and stabilize the Empower San Francisco. I'd like to uh, ask for a motion in a second. So moved. Second. Thank you. I'd like to call on uh, Superintendent Wayne. Thank you, President Lamb. Um, good evening, everyone. Uh, so, um, if we can project the presentation. Thank you. And if you go to the first slide, so I think as, as people are aware, um, on November 7th, we declared a payroll state of emergency, recognizing the need to take extraordinary corrective action to fix Empower SF. Um, because we know, uh, you know our, our number one priority needs to be to make our staff whole, be 
transparent about what we're doing to address this issue and also be held accountable to following through on the plans we're presenting. Um, since then, we have made progress. If you, sorry, go two more slides. Um, we have made progress um, in numerous areas. I want to highlight we do did um, increase our case management. That's a critical team, um, and they've been working hard to close tickets. I've, I'm, I'm in the command center uh, daily myself, and have been uh, seeing them, and, and sometimes hearing the bell they ring when they close a ticket because we're when I, you know, we're, we're challenging them to get as many closed as possible. Um, I also want to highlight we resolved like the 403B contributions process. In a previous update I had shared, we uh, resolved the um, health benefits issues. We resolved in the system and understood why these problems were happening. We're still needing to now follow up with people. Uh, so I was talking with teachers yesterday who want to increase their contribution. We know we need to do that work, but we were able to get to the uh, kind of root cause for those to be able to address them. Um, and then just want to highlight one more bullet. You know, we have mapped out the work needed over the next 90 days to stabilize the system. We have eight teams in the command center. They now each have clear objectives and um, tasks that need to be completed. And we're going through prioritizing what the, uh, you know, what's, what's going to be done when. Um, but it's really a comprehensive pr approach. And having everybody together has been incredibly helpful. Um, <clears throat> You know, but we still face, if you go to the next slide, challenges um, and barriers to stabilization. And these include, we still have on, on our side multiple vacancies and we've had, you know, people leave. Um, as well, um, you know, we, uh, I appreciate the staff we've reassigned to the command center, uh, but it's taking time to train and onboard in this, in this new role. Um, one thing that's really critical is we, uh, and something we need to build in and is one um, that we know we need to build in to have a stable system is to have more redundancy. That means having more people able to do the same tasks. And so we end up needing to have a trade-off of whether, uh, you know, to uh, fix this system over here or address uh, this issue over there because sometimes it's the same people with the same skills who have to do both. Um, and then just recognizing these are very interdependent systems. And so if you go to the next slide, that's why I'm coming um, tonight to uh, ask for a contract amendment with A&M, um, where uh, we're um, asking that it will increase their capacity, it will double the amount of staff participating in the command center, um, extend the support through up to May 31st, um, I think one thing we've recognized when we presented the initial scope, it was very focused on the uh, issues identified in the uh, tickets we've received, but this is all part of our whole system, and so like, you know, the command center and thus the work that A&M has been doing is part of our uh, ongoing operations, such as our end of year activities, which is new. This is our new, new first time present, pr uh, producing W-2s from, um, W-2s from, uh, the a uh, from empower and even it actually takes different paper to do so like they're they're helping us with that and then lastly giving time to have an exit plan we, we do not want uh, we appreciate a and m they are not meant to be here um, forever and for a you know a real long time so they're then leaving the documentation and the processes behind to help us continue with the corrective action steps we'll need to take because not everything will be resolved in this time and then also just help us resume normal SFUSD operations. So I know when bringing forward um, 
you know, a contract amendment like this, we want our resources to be supporting um, our student outcomes. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. But we understand to do that, we need to make sure that we are operating a successful district. And so I've been looking to understand uh, more you know, what does it take to do that and, and why hadn't we done that up until this point? And so, um, you know, so when I say we need to bring this forward, uh, this amendment to uh, increase our capacity, I actually have recommendations from several different sources. So in, in looking at the, uh, just in doing a review of the initial implementation to understand what happened, um, the emphasis had rec uh, recommended additional 28 staff, in addition to the current staff in payroll and in HR and in technology, to transition to Empower. But this recommendation came at a time where we were uh, reducing uh, you know, millions of dollars in school sites, and so it wasn't tenable to be able to move forward on that. Um, then also, we now have, uh, I shared last time, we have been escalated to, uh, uh, we're on the global escalation um, team for SAP, or their team's out here, and they've been analyzing what, they, what we need, and they have also made a recommendation of increasing staffing and looking, rather than just the number of employees, the number of assignments we have. And because recognizing we have a district where people do different jobs, and that actually is a different assignment in the district. So for example, I was talking with the teacher yesterday whose pay was accurate for the school year, but the summer school pay was an issue. And summer school, while it's the same employee, it's a different job, different job description, different hours, different salary schedule, all these need to get uploaded in the system and so it's not like uh, you know we just have 10,000 employees. We actually have you know 20,000 plus assignments. Um, and then lastly, you know A&M came in when we are now in a state of emergency. You know, and so we're really going to need to. In, you know, the, their assessment said you need up to 30 to 50 FTE um, to be able to successfully implement this. And so. You know, again, I know we're increasing the, the cost of this contract for additional support, but when looking at uh, the implementation, we really should have invested between seven million, even up to 12 million in staffing for the last two years to have successfully implemented Empower. And so now, uh, you know, we're bringing forward those costs now with a premium because we are in a state of emergency. Um, do want to be clear if you go to the next slide, we're not um, uh, we do have some salary savings from vacancies in our operations department. When I first brought the contract, I shared from quarter one. We, d we you know, filled some positions, but also people have left, and so we have more salary savings. We're using some carryover funds that were unspent from 21-22, and we are not using the unrestricted general funds that you know, are, are the primary funds for our schools. Um, lastly, um, I appreciate, uh, you know, again, AM uh, has been here. They've done their analysis. They uh, offered the corrective action plan, have been helping us launch the command center. And, you know, they're helping us do the um, review we need to do to understand what happened and why. So you heard some of that when I was sharing uh, the original recommendation around staffing. Um, I do want to invite Erin Covington to come back up um, and because uh, we still hear this question. She spoke to it last time of why not get rid of Empower SF. And if, if, if I could, I would. I, say I understand people want a system um, that works and it feels like this isn't the system that works. Well, there's two issues. I'll speak to one and I'm asking uh, Aaron to speak to another. One is um, bringing back the previous system would be incredibly time intensive. We don't have the capacity to do that. To be frank, maybe after month one, 
Like we could have turned back the clock. Maybe month two. We're now in a new school year. We have literally hired, you know, thousands of, more than, you know, hundreds uh, in the thousands of employees who would all have to be re-entered into the previous system. Um, and so there's no way now, now going back from just a, a, a logistical, practical point of view. But also what A&M's analysis is, you know, demonstrates that whatever system we have, we have issues. So that's where you can speak to the, the outcome of our, of your random sample of, of uh, payroll tickets. Yep, thank you. So earlier this week, we conducted a random sample of the roughly 10,000 tickets that are outstanding. So it was a sample population of 447. And so upon review of those tickets, what we observed is that many, um, 50, 60% of the tickets relate to process issues, which means defining the business requirements, assigning roles and responsibilities, and adequately training staff. So there are still systems issues that do need to be addressed, but the primary driver of the issues um, that we are seeing is a result of poor definition of business requirements and the need to train and staff the organization. Um, yeah, so again, just one, that's a question that comes up a lot and want people to understand we've taken it seriously uh, and this is our assessment and, and want you to understand that this is our assessment at, at this time. So if you go to the next slide, um, just what's next. So we're asking that you approve the uh, um, amendment and that this will help us accelerate issue resolution in the command center. Um, and really working, you know, we have our dashboard up. You can, you can see we're working on faster processing of those issues. We have the end of year activities and, and getting out those W-2s. Um, and then, you know, again, doing that prioritization and ongoing prioritization so we can, uh, you know, be responding in real time to the needs we hear from our, our teachers and our staff and, and while also doing the, the uh, fixes and committed to these regular updates uh, as well. So. Um, uh, so with that, um, that that's uh, presenting this um, this contract. I would just want. I know there was a motion and a second. I'd like to also uh, note that um, kind of as a best practice, want to ha there's names in the amendment, but we're going to change those to roles. So um, you know, just so it's, it's clear what role is doing what. Uh, it has what responsibilities, and that's, I think, a, a good practice in, in contracts to focus on so we're clear in the organization where this is situated. So if, if you don't mind uh, acknowledging that, that will be part of the, uh, what you would approve. And that those modifications would be both in the First Amendment and the contractor agreement? Yeah. Okay. And then we would uh, re repost it as, uh, as amended. Thank you, Dr. Wayne. Um, and at this time, I'd like to call for public comment. Thank you, President Lamb. We have two cards for in-person. How much time? Um, this time, two minutes each speaker, please. Thank you. Matthew Trahan and Leslie Hu, come on up to the dais, please. Do I get a timer? It's, I got it. Perfect. Two it's, minutes? That thing's stuck. Two minutes, yes. Go ahead. So I, I'm pretty uninformed. I just came here from school. I don't know how these work. I don't even know if what I have to say is of any use. But I wanted to give you a teacher's perspective on the whole Empower debacle. 
Um, you know, I didn't even know this meeting was happening. Like with so much, with planning, with meetings, with grading, with late night emails, letters of rec, you know, working through my lunch period. Like we can't, teachers can't stay informed of, of what's going on. I feel like this meeting was just dropped on us. I think 24 hours is what you guys give for these special sessions. Before Empower, it was super simple. We would sign in our initials and we got paid the same thing every month. We never had to worry about what was gonna happen. Never, ever did I have any type of error. Empower comes along, dropped on us suddenly last year, in the middle of the school year, and it's been disaster after disaster. I mean, we're paying payroll specialists to, to help our payroll specialists from the district. Like, everything that you guys have said today, it seems like, oh, it's really complicated. I, I just don't understand why we can't fix this. Why is this not fixed already? Uh, I mean, for we paid $14 million for this program. What have we gotten for it? We're paying, we paid $2 million, $2.8 million for this, for this consulting firm. We're going to pay them another $8 million. Like, what are we getting from this? I mean, my, my coworkers, every day I see them in the, in the workroom, and we're like, every person has, has a gripe. Every person has an issue. Four or three B contributions, getting their UESF dues all pulled out at once suddenly instead of being taken out each month. Uh, teachers getting charged money instead of getting paid. I mean, $8 million for this program, for this consulting firm, is 111 years of my job, 111 years of me being a Spanish teacher at school. I mean, this is alienating teachers. I think lots of teachers are going to leave this profession because of this debacle. Our job is already hard enough. Like, worrying about getting paid is like, should be the least of our worries. And if you're going to spend money, if you're going to spend $14 million on a program, you're going to spend $2.8 million for this consulting firm, and then you're going to spend another $8 million, why not fix the holes in our walls? Why not fix our broken ceilings, our ceiling, like, replace the dead trees, fix, get the rats out of our walls? Like, there, there's so much that needs to be done, and we're spending this money on suits. Like, thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon. Good evening. My name is Leslie Hu. I'm the Secretary of United Educators of San Francisco. Um, I'm here because I do want to say that I'm, we're really glad and excited that there seems to be an acceleration of resolving tickets and fishing at root causes, which we actually wish had been happening months ago. Um, that the need is still extremely high to resolve the issues faster. Uh, we need work to be done to prevent the issues from happening in the first place. And one of the things that's really concerning from reading the, the documents that came out on the board agenda is that the additional $8 million to ask for this contractor to fix these existing problems, that's also being extended to May, which is extremely concerning um, since this implies that's going to be a much longer timeline to fix. That is a timely crisis right now. And that's extremely concerning for us. This amount of money, as the previous educator had said, this additional $8 million, while it is still really important for us to fix these issues, this money is being taken away from students. We need this money to fix all sorts of things that are happening in our buildings, but also the fact that we are not even addressing a major thing that we have been struggling with over the last two years, which is this educator shortage that we have. We all know it's not an educator shortage, it's a shortage of wage and benefits and respect. And if we don't get a handle on this problem, we're still going to be continuing to bleed money to pay for these contractors to fix this problem when this money should be going straight to students. Um, thank you. Thank you. 
please raise your hand if you're on Zoom and you care to speak to the amendment uh, to the contract at this time. Can that be repeated in Spanish and Chinese, please? Buenas noches, por favor, levante su mano si desea hacer un comentario público. Gracias. Thank you. President Lam, there are three hands up. Okay. Um, I'll be up to two minutes each person. Thank you. Emily, go ahead. You have two minutes. My name, hi, thanks. My name is Emily Murphy. I'm a parent of a, a Gwen Park student, and I'm a law professor at UC Hastings, and I teach contracts. And every lawyer parent I have spoken to in the district wants to know where the accountability is for SFUSD's general counsel's office for who negotiated these agreements in the first place. Because what it seems to be from the outside, and we will be asking for this accountability and for more information, is that Empower, someone negotiated this contract with Empower initially. They are clearly in breach and we are paying for it. This, our students are paying for the breach. This, it, it's, I, I would like to know more about the potential litigation positions you're gonna take to protect and recoup the student-focused money that should be going to our teachers. But I have to say, <laughs> I know a lot of lawyer parents in this district and we are all, astonished at what appears from the facts available to us to be borderline incompetence in the SF USD general counsel's office. So we'd really like to hear about some accountability at that end too. We got to fix these problems if we need to spend money right now, but we're going to have to figure out how to get this back from Empower because they're in clear breach. Thank you. Thank you. Chris, go ahead. Hi, I'm Chris Klaus. I'm a special education teacher at Washington High School. Um, we've had educators speak at this, these meetings before. Um, you've talked, Superintendent Wayne, to a lot of educators from Lowell High School yesterday. You've spoken to us. You've listened. There's not a lot more that I can say other than I am I'm torn on this because I want these payroll issues resolved. But this money absolutely could have been used for a better purpose had the district planned according to what was needed to implement the system correctly the first time. When I was getting my bachelor's degree in technical theater, one of my teachers had a phrase, it was work smarter, not harder. And for that person, that meant that you measure twice to cut once. That means that you implement it right the first time to avoid spending money and hurting people the next time. What I'm dismayed about tonight is that there is very little opportunity for people to speak because we weren't really aware that this meeting was happening. Um, not everyone is plugged in. It's the end of the semester. It's finals week next week for all of our high schools. And I feel that it would only be right for the victims of this to be involved in the conversations around the solution. And that does not just mean educators. That means every single employee of the school district should have an opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Sarah? Sarah, are you there?
Elizabeth. Hi, this is Elizabeth Statmore. I'm a math teacher from Lowell High School. Um, I want to thank Dr. Wayne again for meeting with me and 50 of my colleagues um, yesterday here in this boardroom. We really appreciate um, the uh, accountable conversation, even though it was at times I know it was challenging. Um, I want to echo some of the calls for professional for accountability for some of the what what I can only describe as professional malpractice, which comes from a previous um, a previous um, administration um, in the district. But unfortunately, you know, we're kind of in the pottery barn world um, where we've broken it or it's broken and we own it. Um, I am extremely concerned about end of year uh, tax issues. And these are problems that happened in SFUSD. These happened on our watch. Uh, we can't blame Infosys or SAP for the failure to calculate our tax withholding correctly. Um, many of us teachers uh, talked to Dr. Wayne yesterday about the fact that last, that in April, many of us discovered that due to under withholding over the course of our 10 months of employment, um, we owed thousands of dollars. I owed the feds $7,000 for last year's um, under withholding and I'm really concerned about that uh, continuing again next year. I won't be able to afford to keep working for SFUSD if I'm losing money. Thank you. Thank you. And Sarah, one more time, are you there? Yes, I'm there. Can you hear me? Yes, you can go ahead. Thank you so much. Um, I'm a substitute teacher for SFUSD, and I've worked for the district since 2001. And because of Empower SF, and they they didn't pay my my CTA union dues. I had a disability last year that required me to work with um, the online program. I didn't get work, and I'm losing my health insurance. And I don't want to lose my health insurance. I have been a loyal loyal employee. My husband is a para educator and they're going to dock $500. That'll be 25% of his take home salary. He told me he can't afford it. He will not be able to pay expenses. And I'm, you know, this because, because of empower SF, I'm losing this. I'm working now like consistently all the time and I'm losing my health insurance because of empower SF. I need, I would like someone to resolve this. I want my insurance to continue. Sarah, could you please email me your personal information? Are you still there? I am still there. Great, yeah. my, my, my email is S-T-E-E-L-E-J-1. Hold on. Mm -hmm. I have to write, type that out. Right. Hold on a second. It is S-T-E-E-L-E-J, mm -hmm. the number one, at S-F-U-S-D. E-D-U. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Right. That concludes public comment, President Lamb. Thank you. Thank you to the public. Uh, this time I'd like to open it up um, for comments from colleagues and board members. Questions for the superintendent. Vice President Bogus. Thank you. I, I was wondering, Superintendent, if you could talk a little bit about um, 
I guess, accountability in regards to this. I, I mean, I think for me as a commissioner, not necessarily saying like this individual did X, Y, and Z, but I think like what does it look like for the, the district to be accountable for the mistakes, for the errors that were made, and how are we, I think, going about correcting them, and how are we improving our system so that we're better, I guess, suited to kind of catch these things um, as they're kind of happening in process versus after the fact? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'll give uh, um, two examples. I think one, is there needs to be, um, I, I've started sharing some, but there really does need to be a full accounting of what happened and, and where did this go, uh, where did this go wrong, right? So as an example, um, you know, giving that example, finding out that there was a recommendation around a staffing level that wasn't implemented, um, finding out more how that was communicated, and uh, so we know we are facing budget issues, but I'm sure if anybody were asked, would you invest in this, to you know, this to to avoid that, everybody would have said yes. So how did that not get to uh, the the you know enter into the conversation uh, to be able to make a, de a decision? And then so kind of we need that full accounting of it. And then secondly, we need the okay, what's you know uh, I mean you know while I recognize some of these things happened while I was not here, while I'm here, what's you know, um, is being put in place to ensure that that doesn't happen again, right? So now, how do we, you know, how does the board know it's going to get the communication it needs when allocating resources for an implementation of uh, something like this? So I think uh, those are concrete examples of saying we need to present the full accounting of it, and then you need to see that, that the issues that are surfaced in that are addressed. And I guess to follow up on that, when do you feel that members of the public will be able to kind of see kind of that full audit and kind of be able to kind of have a fuller picture of kind of everything? Yeah. So, you know, every time, I mean, we've had this discussion to some extent, you know, and we say we're focused on resolving the, the issue. Um, and, but, I mean, I will say I have started, my, I mean, myself looking into this um, and as part of the, kind of, again, as part of the process of learning what to fix, we're seeing what the issues were. And uh, I think, I, I hear the need, the need for it, so let me consider what the timeline would be for that, so the next time you ask, I, I have an answer. No, I really uh, appreciate that. And I think a, another thing I think I'm just curious about is, um, I totally lost my thought, which means maybe I don't need to say it at this moment, so I will step back. Commissioner Hsu. Yes, um, given that some comments were about uh, not having enough notice of this meeting, um, in line with that, I'd like to know what is a more proactive communication plan about Empower to broad constituency base. I know we as the board are being kept up to date relatively, but there are lots of other uh, constituents yeah. in within the SFUSD universe. There's parents, there's teachers, there's um, paras, there's just people who, who care about SFUSD. So how are we going to, how are you going to update everybody so that people don't still think, oh, it's still a mess, still a mess, even though we're making some good progress, yeah. right? But not everybody knows. Yeah. So instead of just updating a dashboard, not, not everybody's going to come and look at the dashboard every other day. Yeah. I was just going to say that, yeah, I, I mean, we've been doing the dashboard. We send out, send out messages to staff, sent out a community message where we got appreciations for that message, but, uh, you know, and also some feedback about the, the challenges. Um, I, I will say the conversation, you heard it was referenced. I did get to speak to a group of teachers 
pictures yesterday from Lowell. Kind of out of that came two, I think, two key strategies we need to implement. So one is um, is both sharing concise information and more information, meaning like having up front, you know, here's what happened this week, and then hey, if you want to learn more, here's the explanation. So like I, I gave a pretty detailed explanation about the health benefits, and they appreciated, you know, uh, hearing that and, and said that would be good to know, but you know, not everybody's going to read through everything. We also just want to know like, okay, the meeting's happening this day and this and that. And then secondly, um, I, I do think we need to find more, more forums for interaction um, not necessarily on the specific case issues, but on the overall progress and the general questions. Because it was helpful um, going through, like we, went, we ended up going with an employee through a, a, pay, a pay stub, and just that was illuminating to many of the people there. Because you know, I, I was able to point out some things, information that they were asking for. So finding more of those, those types of engagements besides just the written updates. So those are two things that I think came out of yesterday that, that we need to do. Those are good things, but they're reactive. The teachers demonstrated they came and you answered. Well, yeah, question, but now right? that's what I mean. So now, that, it, rather than wait, like create forms for that. That's what. That's what. Right. I was How to say. can we, in general, think about yeah. ways to be more proactive in, in even updating without people saying what's happening? Right. Yeah. No. So that's what I'm saying. Like, rather than wait for people to come down, how are we going out and speaking about what uh, you know what is what's happening? Can can we? sort of have a plan maybe next time. Yeah, so those are the strategies, so I need to put it together into a plan. Commissioner Matomini, and then I'll um, also have one comment, and then we will, no, go ahead. Oh, Commissioner Alexander. Matomini, Alexander, and then. Um, well, first, I do want to say thank you to A&M. Um, in the last several weeks as a board member, I feel like I'm finally getting updates that are comprehensive and root cause oriented and um, a scope and a timeline is being put forward. Um, that said, I do share the, um, the ongoing concerns around accountability, clarity around a timeline, and also about just a, a truing up of an audit to make sure that we what we have going forward is working, but also that our teachers and all those affected by the payroll system have confidence that from the beginning to to the present that they have been made whole and that their their paychecks have been corrected and have been reviewed. Um, and so I also want to echo concerns about noticing. Um, you know, special meetings, they don't have to be noticed. We have 24 hours. That said, as a courtesy both to board members and the public, I do agree that there should be notice and that presentations should be loaded and viewable. Um, you know, I, I had not seen the presentation that, that you all saw in the public. I, I saw it for the first time alongside you. So we are working on that and I, I want to also underscore the work that we did as a board around our governance practices and our commitment on our end and ask that that be reciprocated by staff and that um, we see clear steps to um, adhere to to the, the handoff that took place in that, or I guess like the, the back and forth that is part of that. So, you know, I'm gonna echo timeline, clarity around accountability, I appreciated your comments, superintendent, and also commitment to a full review. Um, I know we have to fix going forward, but a commitment, a clear commitment to a full review 
for all those that have been affected um, who may not even realize they've been affected. Um, and I want to uh, echo much of what, or maybe all of what Commissioner Matamdi just said. And I think um, also just to say, and, and several public commenters brought up the issue of hiring more consultants. And I, you know, that's something that I'm really uncomfortable with. And as as my colleague Commissioner Matami just said, I think this is the first time we've started to see real progress. And so that's why I'm going to support this um, amendment because I think A&M is finally getting us toward fixing this problem. The fact is we have serious capacity issues in terms of our business operations in the district. And I think that's one of the things that's that's come out of, you know, that was, that was a cause of this problem in the first place. And um, it's now very, very clear. And I just want to sort of say that publicly. And so like having A&M here is actually filling in capacity. So some of those vacant positions you saw, you know, A&M folks are, are on the ground doing the work. So that in this sense, they're not consulting in terms of just telling us what to do. They're actually doing the work. And so, so I think a part of this, that's what part of this contract is, is actually bringing, increasing our capacity to fix this problem. That being said, come April, we need to have the capacity to be able to actually run the system on our own and have a competent business operations end of our school district. Um, and so I don't know, Superintendent Wayne, if you want to say anything about that. I just want to raise that as a, as a concern around this contract and ensure that when, they, when A&M leaves, that, we're, that we have a plan for being set up for success um, moving forward. Uh, yeah, I'll just say um, yes, and, and when identifying one of our barriers, it was about the, uh, you know, the technical term is lack of redundancy, and, and but, you know, meaning we need more staff, but actually like hiring staff who can do, so, you know, hiring staff who can shadow the people who are doing what, what they, you know, the, the, all those tasks, so we have multiple people who can do those. And so we do need to start working on that hiring now, so by April, um, it's, uh, uh, you know, we're, we have it in, uh, we have that in place. I also want to make a couple of comments. I want to echo um, and support many of the remarks that have been expressed by my colleagues. Um, one thing I want to particularly lift up, um, times like five now, is around the accountability piece because that was the promise that when we agreed to have bring A&M on, it is around stabilization. And now we are reaching, um, digging deeper into the root cause issues. And just tonight, thank you, Aaron, to you and your team, um, continuing to be much more um, deliberate and naming, you know, those um, root causes and what is most challenging and continues to be troubling is understanding the lack of business processes and systems internally and you know what are we going to do um, and that's really led by our superintendent to put together what that plan looks like and how to implement that. I also want to acknowledge that the lack of business processes and systems is something that was highlighted to us in the fiscal health report by FICMAP as well as um, ongoing concerns from our fiscal experts. And to remind, um, acknowledge um, that this board is well aware, along with our superintendent, that we continue to be under state watch um, because of 
the vulnerabilities around our business practices and financial uh, system. So it is absolutely going to be critical that this board will be um, working, um, looking towards that accountability and the timeline um, for Dr. Wayne to be bringing forward. So with that, do you have an additional comment? Um, at this time, I'd like to, um, we have made a motion with a second with Dr. Wayne's amendments of, um, as recorded, the amendment. Uh, Mr. Steele, roll call vote. Thank you, President Lamb. Commissioner Alexander. Yes. Vice President Bogus. Yes. Commissioner Shu. Yes. Commissioner Matamidi. Yes. Commissioner Sanchez. Yes. Commissioner Wiseman-Ward. Yes. President Lamb. Yes. Seven eyes. Thank you. I just want to appreciate, I know this. these are difficult decisions I'm, I'm you know, uh, I'm presenting to you to have to, to, have to make and uh, you know that there is that commitment to both resolve these issues and, uh, um, you know, follow up on the accountability piece. And just want to, so I want to appreciate you and, and do appreciate uh, the partnership with A&M. And I want to just make a point to appreciate everyone in the command center. You heard me say we've have reassigned staff, you know, who, who didn't necessarily sign up to become case managers, but are, you know, working with employees and, and helping resolve issues. And uh, it, it, that command center, you know, uh, is, it, you know, just, really a, a true partnership of um, you know, district leadership and staff working with A&M. We have SAP members there uh, as well. We even have, uh, today we were hosting members from the city of San Francisco to, who might be able to support us. So uh, do, do see everyone coming together and showing uh, uh, that, yeah, recognizing we're in a state of emergency. Thank you. We will now, uh, shift to our informational items tonight, um, budget training. I'd like to ask my colleagues, we will um, sit here in the middle of the dais, and I'd like to call upon A.J. Crabble from the Council of Great City Schools. So we will just take a few moments to get situated and we can get started.
Good evening again. So turn these. Yeah, I think. Uh, um, right. Well, I do appreciate this. The second meeting in a row around the table because it's an opportunity to uh, learn together and have uh, discussion. Um, joining us at the table is Anne Marie Gordon, our interim head financial officer. And then we have with us AJ Crabble from the Council of Great City Schools, as well as Elliot Duchine from uh, the California Department of Education. So, I like to ask the audience if you would like to have side conversations, please go out into the lobby. So this is the first uh, two um, budget trainings budget sessions we're having. So you know the board's committed to working with the Council of Great City Schools on its process um, and really followed through on that commitment on updating our vision, values, establishing the goals for student outcomes. Um, and our guardrails. And then last time we talked about uh, progress monitoring for uh, student outcomes. Um, and part of the process includes aligning our resources to support our goals. And so today's session is about um, a, a, a learning from AJ and a discussion among us. What does that look like? Uh, you know, he's worked with a lot of districts that have done this. And so what does that look like when we're aligning our resources to support our goals? Then we have a second workshop in February, which is really, okay, what does it look like? What resources do we have? Because that will be after the governor releases his initial budget. And then that will be more led by um, Anne-Marie and I and Elliot. Um, AJ will, will you know, be here to keep us on track, but that will be more on um, you know, now taking the principles we learned tonight, what does that mean as we plan our budget now when we have real numbers in front of us for 23-24. So with that, I'll turn it over to AJ. Wonderful being with you all again, um, and certainly uh, just as a bridge from the prior conversation. Uh, you all have a really tough situation with you, um, and having watched other boards and governing teams uh, go through tough situations, uh, you all are managing it with uh, composure. Um, I appreciate uh, seeing on uh, online photos of you interacting with staff um, and trying to talk through situations. I appreciate the, the level of inquiry that the board is bringing to this and the amount of time that you all are spending outside of board meetings to make sure that you understand what's actually happening. Um, it's just, uh, it is an impossible situation. You all are handling it as well as uh, I've seen um, governance teams handle something of that nature. Uh, this evening we're here to talk about the budget process. Uh, I want to accomplish a couple of things uh, with our time. One is give you an opportunity to think through the full uh, budget process from today to the moment that you adopt your next budget. But then also I want to give you an opportunity to actually practice 
you know, some questions and think through what type of things should I as an individual board member be thinking about and asking about throughout this process and where in the process should I be thinking about and asking about those things so that you leave here with some practical hands-on ideas of, kind of what your role in this, kind of how you exert leadership, how you represent the vision and values of the community through this process. Um, fortunately, we also have some experts, so if you have expert level questions, I will defer you know, to the appropriate individuals. Uh, first, the easiest question, and this will just be the frame for all of our time. When it comes time for the board to adopt the budget, what is the primary criteria uh, that boards should apply to determining whether or not they should adopt the budget? What, is this helping us meet our goals? That is the number one criteria that you should apply when determining whether or not to vote for the budget. Why should that be the number one criteria you should apply? Because the money should follow the intent. Yeah, the money should follow the intent. Why should that be the number one criteria you apply? Because we adopted goals. It adopted goals for a reason. Uh, it wasn't just for show. Yeah, why should that be the number one criteria the board applies? Because we made a commitment to improving and focusing on student outcomes. To whom did you make that commitment? Ourselves and the SFUSD community. Yeah, we made a commitment you know, to our community and to ourselves that we're, there's a set of priorities and we're going to focus in on those priorities about what our students should know and be able to do. This is the easiest thing to understand at the front of the process but you will find it one of the harder things to accomplish throughout and at the end of the process. So just anticipate that this won't be the last time I ask what sounds like an easy and obvious question. It's, uh, it's one thing to say we stand on the shoulders of our community um, and, and that we're marching in the direction of accomplishing the vision our community has for our children. It's another thing entirely to act on it. A large part of my role in a coaching capacity will be to constantly highlight any time where the behaviors that you're demonstrating at the dais, um, from my perspective, are materially deviating from the commitment that you've made, moving away from the direction of saying, here's what we want for our children, and, and we're aligning our resources with that. Any time that your behavior starts to deviate from that, the reason you have me here is to constantly uh, present you to that deviation, to, to call you back to the things that you've committed to on behalf of the communities that you serve. So with that as our frame, let's dive into this process. Um, pretty much everything we're going to talk about is already in this document. So those of you who are meticulously literate, you've already sorted this out. Um, but if you haven't had a chance to read the document yet, uh, then this will be an opportunity for you to get some review. We'll walk through it step by step. Um, ask questions at any time. Uh, starting where it says budget adoption, part one, board and superintendent plan for budgeting. So really you've already completed the first step in the budget process. You've clarified for the superintendent what the priorities are. You said these are the uh, grounded in the community's vision, here are the goals for what students know and be able to do, grounded in the community values, here are the non-negotiable guardrails that have to be honored. So you've already completed the first, uh, and for the board, the single most important step in the budget adoption process. What happens next is the superintendent's got homework to do, and actually you just heard him speak to that, that he's going to have to uh, analyze your financial picture and come back to you with some amount of assumptions around here's what we think our revenue picture is going to be, here's what we think our expenditure picture is going to be. 
and ideally you all will have a full conversation around that. And I think we said we're doing that when? Is that the t January 10th? Um, or is, that, is this February? February? Yeah, it's in February that you'll have this full conversation. Uh, a large part of the intention around that is before you ever talk about an actual budget, there should be clarity for you as board members about what are the assumptions around what money, what resources are coming in, what are some assumptions around uh, what type of expenses we're expecting to have. Um, and that's, that's a critical thing to get clarity on that before you ever talk about what the budget's going to actually be. Um, so that's step one um, in the budgeting process, is the board says what the priorities are, the superintendent analyzes the landscape and says, here's what some of our assumptions are about revenue, here's what some of our assumptions are about expenses. What questions do you have about part one of this process? I'm just going to make an observation, yeah. is that I I have not seen us go through a process where we actually look at the, the buckets and the assumptions. So this will, from from what I've observed, will be a new um, approach. And so, I'm not to jump ahead, but I'm assuming that when you're talking about the list of operational buckets and the projected expenditure amounts, we're also talking about um, all all revenue sources and expenditures. Uh, that would be my recommendation. Uh, that's going to be constrained by what you actually have available. So, for example, I know states where the uh, State Department of Education got people projections about their uh, resources extremely late. Well, then that means your superintendent will get you projections late. I know places where new legislation came in in the middle of the budget setting uh, season that created new constraints on the budget. You know, that, that popular thing that happens, the unfunded mandate, yeah, those things roll in at any time. Um, and so there are certainly going to be things that you can't predict that are going to have impacts on just how useful those assumptions are about revenue expenses. Um, so don't, like, write them down as if they're gospel, but it is helpful for and the planning process to have been thoughtful about those things to the extent that you can be. And there is an embedded timeline because the governor makes his proposal yeah. in January there's a May revise. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So. yeah. The other question I have about sort of the timeline is is um, how this to how the, our timeline maps onto our school sites and when they have the relevant information to be able to make really important decisions about programs and staffing and, and I know that you know, there was some questions with the May revise, oh, there's this money coming in, can it be used for the next school year? No, and maybe that was specific because we were dealing with some bigger um, budgetary concerns. And, but it just seems like all of this, we need to make sure that we know how it's landing on school site decisions. Yeah, that is definitely not a part of the board's uh, budget setting process, but that is definitely a part of uh, the superintendent's you know, administrative cycle of working with staff and making sure not and I'd say not only uh, that staff have an understanding of what resources available to them but also some amount of support around how best to deploy and utilize those and I can think back to my last district uh, one of the things that we pushed for in the board's adopted theory of action was really trying to push more resources uh, to being decided on at the campus level 
And so the superintendent, you know, honoring our theory of action, certainly you know, pushed for that. And then we quickly found out that our principals lacked capacity around how to deploy the resources and how to do so in a way that was consistent with the laws governing the different sources of those resources. And so all of a sudden we had Title I issues. And, we had a, and so it's not only a matter that what he needs to do is talk to his staff about what resources they're getting, but also make sure that they have the support they need to deploy those effectively as possible. That's, that's both a legal issue but also a programmatic issue. Uh, that being said, none of that is part of uh, the board's uh, budgeting process, but it is something that you, uh, he definitely has to handle. Yeah. How, so help me understand that, because it seems like if the board, if our approval is in June, mm -hmm. right, and but schools actually have to be given their budgets and make decisions prior to that. So mm -hmm. how does this work with that kind of timeline? So if the board says in May or June, mm -hmm. well, th we don't, this, this isn't aligned, mm -hmm. but yet there's all kinds of other things that have already happened. That happens in every district in the land. Is it realistically, you are going to have schools that are already making plans. Your more clever principals are making plans right now, you know, exactly. about things that are going to happen next year. Uh, the, the reality is there's no way for your principals to be successful waiting on your current timeline. And so they're going to have to make assumptions you know, and proceed. Uh, usually, these things work out because your principals tend to be a clever group. They can read the goals and guardrails just as well as the superintendent can. Uh, but that being said, yes, you always run the risk that there are budgetary priorities uh, that take place at final adoption that don't perfectly echo planning that has happened at the campus site. And, and I have yet to see anyone come up with a reasonable approach to uh, avoiding that, other than, I guess, potentially you all could create a budgetary process where you did final adoption in February, and then that, that might preempt that. Well, or what about, I guess, to use a more specific example here, historically we've had spent a really low percentage of our budget on classroom instruction, for example. So let's say that the board, to me that seems like a board level kind of conversation around like I, one thing I want to know hypothetically is, okay, given our goals, you know, how much are we spending at sites to achieve those goals? How much are we spending centrally to achieve those goals? But if we've already made the decision, the decisions are being made around allocation between sites and central in March, how do we? How does that conversation occur? I guess yeah. that's why I meant around timing. Got it. Let me back up. There's one piece we missed. You're making a an assumption that may or may not fit. Because the number one criteria that the board needs to consider is whether or not the budget aligns with accomplishment of the goals, and then secondarily, whether it aligns with honoring of the guardrails. Uh, because that's the primary decision-making criteria, my coaching to you is to come in with a default assumption that the budget, in fact, is not aligned to accomplishment of the goals, and uh, adherence to the guardrails. Uh, so this is this is different. Often I'm saying, hey, you know, you hired the superintendent, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, and, uh, but this is in the budgeting process. This is actually one scenario where I actually coach boards in the opposite direction. My coaching to you is come in with the default assumption. You know what? I bet this budget is not in fact aligned to the community's vision and values. Superintendent staff prove otherwise, and then it is on them to say here's what we are recommending to spend the resources on and here's why um, and here's why we believe that this is actually going to accomplish the goals. Your judgment of the budget 
is not, in fact, contingent on is the superintendent using the strategy that you think uh, makes the most sense. That is not the basis. The basis is does the superintendent come forward with a strategy that is convincing that the first priority for resource allocation is, in fact, accomplishment of the goals? And it should be a fairly high bar. You, you should not be automatically and easily convinced. But the standard is, as I look at this budget, has the superintendent made a compelling argument for how this allocation of resources will accomplish our goals? Not has the superintendent uh, identified a deployment of resources or a process for deployment that is consistent with what I think is the best way to get that to actually accomplish the goals. Right, right. But I guess I wanted to say, like, where does he get to hear that? Like, I was giving examples, so I might ask, where does he get to hear that before June? I guess was my question. Where, uh, where, so. Does that make sense? So where does he get to hear what specifically? So let, let, me, let me try. Let me, because this is learning for everybody here. I've obviously yeah. done budgets for a district, but we're talking. Yeah, yeah slightly different process. This way. But let me, let me give it, a, a, here's what I'm thinking. Let me say it like this. So right now in the district, 75% um, of our expenditures go to schools, 25% go uh, our central office expenditures. Of the 75% that goes to schools, uh, that number, that number I, I, is a, a grounded in an actual analysis. Of the 75% that goes to school, this I'm going to make up a little, you know, 80% uh, of that 75% is kind of set. See, this is why I'm curious your response. Humans. In that you have to have classroom teachers. You have to have a principal. You have to have a custodian. You have, like, there's, there's things that are set. It's the 20% that the schools, you know, that's where they decide. And here there's a lot of... Uh, authority and autonomy given to schools, like, do we want to do more class size? Do we want to hire more, um, you know, more coaches? Do we want to have more social workers? Things like that, right? Um, that is going to happen over the next six months before we, you know, do, uh, you know, before we, before we make any big decisions to say, like, hey, maybe we want to change how, you know, that, that's what to me it seems like maybe a board level or my recommendation decision of, like, where do we want to have more autonomy or less autonomy in those decisions? Then on the same side at the district office, there's, you know, central office, of the 25%, there's the same thing. Like, we need a payroll department, as you know. And we need, you know, we, there are things, there's expenditures we need. But then there are things we do that could shift. And I will say I see in this first year of budgeting, like, I, the, 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 because of how we do budgeting, there, it's just going to be the principals looking at our goals who are going to make those shifts themselves because it's going to be too hard to, we're not going to be able to provide district direction and time for that. And then at the district level, though, there's more, I think there's more say we have. And that's what I imagine conversation happening in February when we're getting to specific dollars. So I don't know if that's too much. No, yeah. So there's, there's some of that I'd say absolutely and a few particular nuggets that say please absolutely not. Okay. Um, let's start with the please absolutely nots. Yeah. Um, because the rest of it was actually really spot on. So the things that I would strongly push back against is no. The board has already articulated its priorities. If there is a priority the board wanted around uh, something else, then their opportunity to express that is you know, through their goals and guardrails. So it's not like, well, these are the priorities except for all the other priorities we have. And so encouraging your board to contemplate having additional priorities above and beyond the priorities defeats the purpose of having priorities. So I want to be clear about that. It, this, is what I, I, this is what I said when we started, that the hardest thing about 
having priorities it isn't saying it, it's actually honoring it. And so you all have said there are this specific set of constraints that we place on the superintendent in the form of our goals and guardrails. Those are the priorities. So as you have additional priorities that you dream up, that is quite lovely. But those are not what you have articulated as the vision and values of the community. So there is one small caveat. Um, one of the tool that we um, find that some boards take advantage of is something uh, is boards could adopt a special type of guardrail uh, that we refer to as a theory of action. Um, and a theory of action uh, certainly you know can provide uh, just one more opportunity for the board to try to express uh, the vision and values of the community. Um, and if that's something that you know, makes sense, so for example, uh, earned autonomy is an example of a theory of action some um, boards would adopt. And in that scenario, you clearly define you know, that under these thresholds, these particular campuses get radically more autonomy and they can, and so you know, you, that's the board expressing a means through which we move the envelope of decision making from central office to the uh, campus and back. Uh, but with the exception of that as a special type of guardrail that is something that we could certainly discuss, the role of the board in budget adoption is to ascertain the extent to which there is alignment between the goals and the guardrails that you've adopted, the priorities that you've stated, and the budget. It is not the role of the board to come into the budget process looking for here are the ways that I think things should happen and here are additional priorities above and beyond the guardrails. Uh, as I told you, my task during these processes as your coach, we constantly present you to the things that you set of priorities and call you back to them. So this, this, is, this is why we have you know, this training at the very front end of this before we've done anything else, is to set some expectations about what does it look like to actually focus, be intensely focused on the priorities that we've set. Um, we, we're talking right now about what happens before we even get into the budgetary process. And we've identified the board, identified, says what the priorities are. The superintendent identifies assumptions. The superintendent ideally has done some amount of um, engagement uh, with uh, customers and staff um, and developing some of that and should be able to relay some of that to you. Other questions or thoughts about part one before we move on into the subsequent parts of the process? Part one is really about what happens before the planning. Uh, it's, it's planning to plan, essentially. Other questions or thoughts about part one? Yeah. I had a question around our LCAP process and the role that it plays. Mm -hmm. um, not to, you know, how do we lead with our vision, values, goals, and guardrails, the LCAP, um, and because we know that we must improve that process. Yeah, so I don't see the LCAP as a governance document. I realize there may be people in your you know, state Department of Education who disagree. If they do, I just think they're wrong. Um, because it's not a governance document, then, it falls under every other plan that you all produce, um, and that it's uh, delegated to the superintendent to produce that plan in a way that's consistent with the priorities that you've articulated, your vision, values, goals, and guardrails, and that he should then come back to you and similarly be prepared to convince you that the LCAP that he's prepared is in alignment with accomplishment of uh, the goals and guardrails that you've defined. Um, if you are not convinced, I would encourage you not to vote <laughs> to adopt it. But be clear, the only reason 
that you are voting on an LCAP is not because it's a governance document. It is not. It's, in my mind, it is very cut and dry, clearly uh, designed as a management document. The only reason you're voting on it is because that's the law of the land. And it's only it being the law that causes it to be a governance document raised to your level. If it wasn't the law, my encouragement to you would be don't vote on it at all. Tell the superintendent to go do his job. And either he creates an LCAP that helps accomplish the goals of guardrails or, you know, in due course, he'll be looking for alternative employment. Um, but you all will have to vote on that because that is the requirement. And so I'd encourage you to apply the exact same criteria. To what extent is this aligned with uh, the goals and guardrails we've adopted? As an aside, one of the things that's mentioned here in part one is that the superintendent, when putting together the budget, should do some amount of uh, some of the basic assumptions around the budget um, should be doing some amount of checking in. He shouldn't be doing this in isolation. He should be checking in with you know customers and staff. I would say that's also similarly true of the LCAP. Is that it's reasonable to check in with the superintendent as you were developing this and what process did you go through that uh, engaged with our customers, you know, our families, our students. What process? Uh, how did you include our staff um, and not just the staff in this building, but you know, uh, representation, you know, system-wide, you know, how did you engage with our staff um, in a way that um, gives you confidence that uh, you have an understanding of what's happening not only in the central office but out in the campuses? Other thoughts about this first stage before we go to part two? So part two is pretty straightforward. The superintendent drafts the budget. i reiterate that because it's easy to read the words, but it's Let's take them one by one. The superintendent, any questions about who drafts the budget? Uh, and so there is always a temptation. There's always a temptation to violate this step and have board members actively uh, get involved in, well, I'm, I was elected, so I should be uh, drafting the budget. I encourage you against that temptation. This is you know, a path that leads you away from the things that you professed. Um, and toward a distribution of resources that does not, uh, is less likely to honor uh, your goals and your guardrails. So the superintendent drafts the budget. Uh, they go out, they use the process, uh, they um, engage folks, and, they, um, and then they bring it back to you all. Uh, at that point, you all will then start to have questions, you know, about it. But the main thing here is after all of the listening that the superintendent does after all of the connection with the, with all the staff that he connects with, the superintendent will sit down and craft the budget. Questions about the superintendent drafting the budget. Questions about the board's role in drafting the budget. Do we get to stand over the superintendent's shoulder while? <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, my, hey, could you uh, could you move this over here for me? Yeah. Uh, that 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 will be the temptation, um, but it's not the the critical thing here. It's not the board member's budget. What you all adopt needs to be the you know board uh, budget that the, represents you know the vision and values of the community as the board sees them, not as individual board members see them. And so board members always want to put their thumbs on the scales of the budget, uh, but that's actually a complete violation of what you claim to believe in. Partially equity, but in a whole nother level, democracy. Um, this isn't board members' individual budget; it's the board's budget. And so, if the board as a whole you know, wants to have a conversation, 
uh, about its priorities, that's always fair game. Uh, that will then wind up applying to the next budget, not this one. Um, but it's always fair game for the board to say, you know what, I think we just picked the wrong priorities. Um, but for this budget, the superintendent will be implementing the priorities that you've already given them. And if you want to change the priorities, that's fine. That'll move to the next budget. But that is the board's role in articulating uh, what should be prioritized in the budget is you adopt your goals and guardrails. Other questions about this idea that the superintendent develops the budget? Superintendent you know, drafts the budget, comes back to you all with a draft, and then at that point you start asking questions about it. Uh, again, I want to reiterate, the standard that I recommend to you is to come into the process with the default belief that, you know what, I bet this budget is not aligned with my community's vision and my community's values as articulating our goals and guardrails. And it's on the superintendent uh, to provide you evidence to convince you otherwise. And my coaching to you is not to be automatically convinced, uh, to really use this as the occasion by which the superintendent is clearly spelling out for you and through you in public forum, the entire community, here is what the alignment looks like. Yeah. I think I, this is what I was trying to get at earlier, and I think I didn't phrase my question well because I used a specific example. That, if this conversation is happening in June, I don't understand how it can have any impact on the budget process. So I think what I'm asking about is the timing of everything. So if, if the superintendent is presenting a budget mm -hmm. two weeks, three weeks before it's, it's due, or even a month before it's due, we ask these questions. If the board says we're not convinced, we don't have an option, and this is what I've seen every single yeah. year. Like we we did that, we do this every. I think now we're set up to do it in a really thoughtful way. Yeah. But like we're up against the wall in terms of the state requiring the budget to be approved by a certain deadline. Yeah. So this so is that's right. That's the, yeah. I guess that's what I'm saying. How, how do we? How does I want to ask these questions early enough mm -hmm. so that he knows, so that it's not a setup for him too. I don't want to yeah. against his budget. I want to be able to say, look, hey, I'm really skeptical about point X. Mm -hmm. Convince me otherwise, right? That yeah. was why I was using yes. that example yes. around yes. the allocation. So it's not that I want to be able to dictate the allocation, but I want to say, I'm coming in based on our guardrails, based on our goals, mm -hmm. with the skepticism convince me. Yeah. Yeah, so this is why, clearly articulate, you should start this process three to five months of the, uh, this whole conversation, start three to five months before the statutory deadline for adoption. Actually, the, the document says four to six months. Uh, no, I'm talking, so I'm talking about, no, for part one, okay. um, for part one it says, Three to five months. Okay. I'm, I'm actually reading it. Let's see. <laughs> okay, all, right. all of this, the very last sentence of part one, all this okay. generally takes place at least three to five months prior to budget adoption. And so that's why I'm saying this whole process needs to start at least three to five months before you have get around to adoption. Uh, because to your point, if you start it any later than that, it's going to be really, really hard uh, for the board to have a thorough conversation without feeling like we just have to press press play because our backs are against the law. And so that's why, again, part one, at minimum, should start at least five months before adoption, which um, we're, is essentially what we're doing this time around. Yeah. Yeah, are we? I mean, I, I totally yes, understand, yeah, and I saw the, the nods of what they're saying. So but let, me, let, me, let me try this. What I'm imagining, I mean, this might be February, and this might happen sometime in March, right? But, what, like, for, for it to happen the way you just described in response to Commissioner Alexander's question, I feel like in 
February, March, I need to say, like, so I'm just saying this, we have yeah. to coordinate, see if we can make this happen. But, there's a task that I thought that you don't know that you have, that, no, we, we talked about it a little, but like, you know, say, from looking at it right now, and let's just keep it at, you know, district office, right, we spend 15% um, of our expenditures are on literacy, mm -hmm. you know, we need to bump that up to 25%, yeah. it's going to be, you know, and and here's the big buckets of what those are. Training, um, adoption of an assessment. Staffing. And some staffing, you know. Then, you know, but so that's not a budget. That's like a, a it, I mean, it's a high level, like here's where we're going. And, but that, then, that's when then they would say, you're going from 15 to 20%. That's not bold enough. That'd actually be huge, actually. But. Okay. <laughs> but, and and Marie, add on. But that, like, because otherwise yeah. it is. And that's what we're saying. saying yeah. Here, here's the budget. Yeah, so I, the ideal scenario is starting this as early as possible. And so to be perfectly in sync with what I'm describing here, and the conversation we'll be having in February, ideally would happen in December or January. Mm -hmm. And then the follow-up. I mean, so yes, what, I, what this document is contemplating is that you are nudging back your timeline just a little bit so that it should be conceivably possible, you know, for the board to vote on the budget in, you know, April or May. Definitely don't recommend you waiting until June to do so. Like the, in, of all things being equal, earlier is in fact better uh, in this scenario. But to your point to get there, that means you had to have started earlier to have those conversations. And it's hard to do that uh, when you're up against the wall of when the state provides you data. But, uh, uh, the, 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 other, the other way to do that is find other creative ways to, uh, you know, f figure out how do we compress, you know, the timeline or what are things that we can do earlier in the process. There's a certain amount of listening, you know, uh, you know stakeholder engagement and such that uh, can be done, you know, can be front-loaded that isn't, in fact, heavily dependent on the state deploying. It does require you to rethink this. The other massive rethinking that all this uh, encourages is the normal way that school districts nationwide do budgeting, and it's not just y'all, this is all across you know, the width and breadth of the country, is they do, they go back to the board and say, here's statutory bucket A, and here's how much money we're pouring in there, and here's statutory bucket B, and these folks know what I'm talking about. I find that to be thoroughly worthless in terms of helping you understand the alignment of the budget to your priorities. And so what I am recommending, in fact, is completely distinct from that process. Will they still need to do that for statutory you know, compliance reasons you know, and for just operational uh, purposes? Yes, they'll still need to do that. But talking about this is in this bucket and this is in that bucket is not a proxy for here's how we're aligning our resources uh, with our priorities. And so that's part of the challenge here is that, uh, is that it is two very different ways of looking at it. One from a financial systems implementation perspective, which is what you normally get, which again, I find wholly inadequate to help you understand alignment to your priorities. What this is recommending is separate and apart from that. Um, yes, which is additional work for your staff, is a look at your budget that uh, articulates it from the perspective of your priorities. What are you thinking? Um, I was going to say that I think that the what I'm imagining is um, in prior years when we've ha been able to have some conversations in January, February before launching budget development where what would need to change, I think, is the, like, the frame um, 
to articulate the rationale behind, for example, school budgets, right? Here's the approach that the superintendent is recommending we take for how school budgets will be developed and allocated, right? That there's like, and that that is part of the articulation of the draft budget. Um, but then from there, there's a recognition that sites will be the decision makers after that point. And so there's sort of this, right, the front end of like, does that allocation approach align with the goals and honor the guardrails? And then the recognition of then what that will look like when the budget is presented, where it's the, you know, the, the compilation of all of our school sites going through a school planning process and making decisions about how they will school by school use those funds. So that, but having more of that conversation on the front end to really talk about the approach and the rationale of why this approach will address the goals would probably help with the questions that, right, that come throughout the spring as schools are planning. What do you think? Observation by pointing <laughs> and what you just said, it seems to me that you're saying going from 15% to 25% because we set the goals. To me, actually, it should have been asking, like our third grade literacy goal, right? Asking the teachers, what do you think it's going to take? Is it going to take one of you, two of you, three of you, five of you to accomplish that for this school site and every school site? And then you get up and say, okay, five teachers here, and I have 120 times five, but just go on numbers. Okay? Then you come up to a budget of headcounts, or whatever that number is. Instead of saying 25%, and that comes to, at the end, like one per school site. I would love right? it if it, teachers had like that kind of support to do it's, that. It's like, <laughs> it's completely reversed of what I'm just hearing. Actually, you, yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? I do, exactly. I'm, I know exactly. I think that's fine. Right. Yeah. What so, is that yeah, I, I so do. It's not a justification well, of how to spend the money. Well, it's like figuring out how much should be spent, should be budgeted. Right, it's like the no. zero-based budgeting. Yeah, 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 yeah. We all zero-based budgeting, starting with the kids yeah, yeah, yeah. and the people serving them and yeah, then building yeah. from the bottom up. So, may, may I? You spent an extreme amount of time with this gentleman and a couple of his friends going through your visions, values, goals, and guardrails. You've done the head work on this. What you just said, and you'll excuse me, but it's, it's part of the how, not the what. Um, your superintendent may decide that there's a better way to do it. You may not like it. You may get pushback for it. And that's how you evaluate him. Did he increase student outcomes? And you know, I want to kind of make this simple because the state's very complicated, but basically it boils your LCAP down to eight priorities. And you can do almost anything under those eight priorities. Your goals that you developed, I guarantee you, provide a higher level they're your top goals, and from those goals, that's where your superintendent should say, okay, literacy by third grade, what's the best way to do this? He's doing the what, he's doing the how, you've told him the what. And, and I understand that a best practice may be to go to the community, but technically that's Dr. Wayne's job. I don't think I'm disagreeing with you. I think I'm actually 
reinforcing that. Okay. I, then you know what? Anything that he proposes, he's going to be able to justify and rationalize. And we're not going to have anything to say about that's, that's what I'm here. I'm not saying you don't have discussions and you don't inform his management decisions, but you don't make them. There's a difference. But I'm here, but I'm here gonna, in AJ, with, uh, and this kind of goes back to what Lainey asked about the, the LCAP too. What I'm hearing, and what you described doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, I, what, the way we describe it doesn't necessarily mean like, I, I didn't comment whether I would or would not bring forward 15% to 25% by talk, that I made that up in my head, or I talked to teachers, and you know, and I saw the nods from some people. I mean, better talk to some teacher. But that's where, like, I feel like, I feel like the the I've heard three examples now of where the conversation around the budget, the skepticism comes as much from the the guardrails as the goals, meaning like you know, effective decision making. You know, so I was wondering, <laughs> yes. is the LCAP yes. is the LCAP a major decision? I mean, it's a major decision in that it's you know, I know you what you're saying that it's a plan, but it is. It, it is something that's put before the board that one of the big things they need to improve. Whether we say it's a major decision or not, budget's a major decision overall. Like, you know, so there's effective decision making. Uh, there's resource allocation is a guard um, is a guardrail, and then there's like you know, then there's serving the whole child is a guard guardrail too. So you you know, I would expect to be challenged to see how are you putting in structures that meet our goal of literacy while also doing it in a way that doesn't neglect the social and emotional development of students while doing that. And sometimes I worry these guardrails are a little big, but <laughs> even as I'm telling you, yeah. you can invoke them for me. But is that where, it seems like that's where, where the skepticism, these, these, this is where they come and say that, not the how, but more like how are you living these guardrails? Yeah, so the, yeah. the board is clearly articulated, here's the vision of the community, the results we have to get for children, here are the values of the community, the uh, guardrails on which you have to pursue those. And this is why you have a copy of the goals and guardrails in front of you. If you don't have a copy on your screens, there's copies in the middle of the table. Um, but those are not optional. Those are not recommendations. Uh, those, those are not suggestions. Those, those are mandates on behalf of the community. Um, and so in alignment with any of your goals and any of your guardrails, inquiry is fair game. What's not fair game is telling them, you know, well, you have to do it this way, you know, otherwise I won't be convinced. What is fair game is to say, hey, we expect meaningful consultation with parents and guardians and students uh, before major decisions are made. How did you honor that guardrail and development this? And either he can uh, convince you that he honored it or he can and he's got homework to go do. Um, but that's that's on him. That's not on you to uh, assume that he did that. You have every right to ask. Um, what evidence do you have that this guardrail was honored in the creation of this budget? Um, but the limitation is it's just what is specifically in the language of the goals and what is specifically in the language of the guardrails. So, for example, effective decision-making uh, explicitly says parents, guardians, students, and staff. It doesn't say anything about taxpayers. And so you can say, well, hold on, the taxpayers in this community have put in the bill for this budget. What did you do to engage with them? Well, hold on. That's not what you said. And so is that a reasonable, is, is that reasonable? Sure. That, that sounds reasonable. But is that what you actually said? No, it is not. 
And so if I was here, it's like, hold on, folks. That is outside what you articulated as a priority to your superintendent. You said the priority. next year. It, it may, maybe we need to modify it in the future, but it's clearly not what you articulated here. And so that, that's, I, I appreciate that because that's, that's a great example of the interaction between the goals and guardrails and his expected task. And that's right. It's interesting just having this, this conversation that we focus on setting, you know, the interim guardrails as measurement, but this is a different approach to ensuring we're following the guardrail, which, which makes sense to me. I mean, in the end, I think what we're going to debate, you gave a, a, an obvious example, but what we're going to debate is, you know, what is meaningful consultation, right? Because, and, and what you're saying is, you don't get to say meaningful consultation is you had 20 town halls, and if you had 19, it wasn't it meaningful. It wasn't meaningful. You know, so work, but, but and so somewhere between, they don't get to say that, to they don't get to believe everything I said. Yeah. And said, well, and I consulted with people, and I had <laughs> five town halls, and that was enough, and anybody who you're hearing complaint from, they just missed the memo. Yeah. Right? So it's going to be somewhere between there that we agree and, on. And, and the tension between those two is healthy governance practice. Mm. That's, in, that's entirely helpful. There is a tension between, uh, between that, and that is, that is what this process is intending to elevate. Now, it is on the superintendent to offer you some interpretation. Would I, I interpret meaningful consultation to mean X, Y, and Z. And we went out and we did X, Y, and Z. And here's the evidence that we did X, Y, and Z. And you look at it, and either he can demonstrate that he did X, Y, and Z or not. Now, if the board as a whole says... Conducting X, Y, and Z is not meaningful consultation. No, no reasonable person would ever look at X, Y, and Z and say it's meaningful consultation. That is, a different con that is a different conversation. At that point, what the board is saying is that the superintendent's interpretation is unreasonable. And that is an appropriate position for the board to take. Uh, there will always probably be one board member who thinks an interpretation is unreasonable, but that's not particularly relevant. What's relevant is, to, is there's a majority of right. Yeah, he's going to be that guy. But the, the more relevant point is, does the majority of the board look at, a, look at an interpretation and say, you know what, a, a reasonable person would get there. It's not, it's not the definition, I, it's not the interpretation I would use. You know, his interpretation was, you know, I sat down, you know, with the, you know, these 30 different constituent groups, you know, and walked through this conversation with each of them, um, you know, over the course of two months. And that's his definition of reasonable. And some of you are going to say, well, that's just not reasonable. You need to do A, B, and C. But unless that's the majority of the board, then we keep it moving. And so, again, that tension is a healthy tension to have. Those are healthy conversations to have. Uh, it's, you set the priorities. He's you know, interpreting them. But he's now got to bring you evidence that he is actually following through uh, on his interpretation, you know, of your priorities, and that he's giving you evidence that suggests the reason we are um, hiring five more literacy coaches, you know, for our lower elementary is because here's the evidence we have that that the unique need that our students furthest from educational justice are experiencing would be best met by having access to this group of professionals, and they're going to be targeted to the places where students are furthest from educational justice, and and that. And that's his argument. And, and it doesn't matter that you in your heart of hearts believe, well, what our kids really need is five people who do this job instead of that job. What matters is, is that a reasonable interpretation of the board's goal? And is the evidence to you, uh, is he brought any evidence that that, that, that is a reasonable uh, course of action to take? And if so, at that point, um, he, 
at that point, you have to be prepared to vote. What's critical about this, and I hope this is coming across in the conversation, the decision to vote on the budget is not a function of whether you like it or agree with it. That is, that is the hard thing that I want to be abundantly clear about. The decision of whether or not to uh, vote to approve the budget is not a function of whether you like it, whether it's a strategy you'd pick, whether you agree with it. It's not that. The question is, has the superintendent evidenced, and you should start off with the assumption he hasn't, has the superintendent evidenced that the budget is in fact in alignment uh, with accomplishment of your goals and is alignment with having honored your guardrails? What else is coming up for you? Yeah. I, I, oh, go ahead, please. Do you want, I, I haven't, but I don't care because I started. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go. Okay, okay, so this actually, because I think what Commissioner Shu said about sort of <coughs> grounding decisions in the folks that are doing this work and have the expertise that really resonated with me. Um, I, I also understand, you know, we're not to micromanage how dollars are being spent. And one of the things that I wonder if, if to sort of make sure that we're honoring, like how are we engaging with the experts in pedagogy? How are we engaging with the experts on the ground that are doing the teaching? Is comes into the guardrail of effective decision making. So if we're talking about how to increase, if we're talking about, you know, in how money is going to be spent in terms of increasing literacy rates, well then presumably, Superintendent Wayne, you are engaging with school sites and teachers about best ways to improve literacy and, oh, this would be th this and this and this, and then that would inform the budget. So I, I wonder if there's that sort of a through line is using the guardrail of effective decision making will not make major decisions without utilizing this process, da da da. And that, I think, gets to, I think, what at least really resonated with me about what you said about making sure that we're, we're listening to the folks that know how to do this best. Um, and to clarify, that is not the standard that you adopted. Well, but there's a guardrail that says, without utilizing a process that includes meaningful consultation with da-da-da-da-da, and that includes parents, guardians, students, and staff who will be impacted by the, those decisions. That is the standard you adopted. I just wanted, yeah. No, I'm saying, I, my, right, so, so, alright, <laughs> I would hope that what, what I'm saying, what Commissioner <laughs> Shu was saying, would, would, that it would look like talking to the people that we should be talking to. So he definitely needs to engage in meaningful consultation, you know, with these constituent groups that you all, you know, have described, you know, with the exception of adoption of, you know, and review of these things. Um, and so certainly having those conversations in advance of bringing you a budget uh, is having those meaningful consultation uh, discussions. But who specifically that is, what those conversations, you know, like, uh, may not match your interpretation of, you know, well, he, you know, talked to the people at this school, but I asked the folks at this school, and, and they didn't get to talk to the superintendent about this. Um, or maybe his uh, definition of meaningful consultation um, is he invited all the principals to, hey, principals, I want you to sit down with your entire teaching team, and I want you to go through these questions, and then I want you to uh, start to bring some of that conversation, you know, back, and then I'm going to sit down with the principal. Uh, and maybe that's his way of doing meaningful consultation. So then the teachers approach you and say, well, I never got to talk to the uh, superintendent. The superintendent says, well, I, I engage in meaningful consultation with the teachers through the auspices of their principal, and then here is, you know, the, the results of that. Um, and so all I'm suggesting is 
I don't know how he's going to do that. Your investment uh, isn't in how he did it. Your investment is can he evidence that he did it. Um, and that's going to be that's going to be the challenge. Is each of us uh, like I do a lot of I work with a lot of boards on uh, constituent engagement. I have very specific ideas of uh, what my threshold for that is, and I find most superintendents come in under it, and I have to kind of nudge them up. But in the point that we get here, it's actually not my standard for what is meaningful consultation. It's the reasonable interpretation he's come up with. Now, if his interpretation is unreasonable, that's a different conversation. You're, not, you're going to find it's not an unreasonable one. It's just going to be one you don't necessarily agree with. It doesn't match the interpretation you would have. But he's not going to give you one that's unreasonable. Well, but I think, I mean, I, in some ways, you're, you're offering, um, I, 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 see the, I appreciate the line you're drawing. I mean, but what I appreciate more, as you said, we're going we're, we're, we're gonna to work that out. And, and to me, what was most encouraging is there's actually a space for a healthy conversation. Because I say, if I didn't consult any teacher, uh, you know, that probably is not a reasonable. I, I, that's weird, one. but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, but, but, but what, what you have given us permission, here's what I think doesn't happen. I think there, I, I think what you've, you've not only given us permission, the charge is to have the conversation within this framework, right? That what I am excited about is when I get challenged on meaningful consultation, is I think there's space for me to say, okay, right, you know, it, 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 it looked like this, and here's why, and here's why it didn't look like that, you know, because, uh, because like, this is a controversial topic. So, or, you, know, con cons you know, literacy, like, like there was consultation, you know, and, I don't know, I won't get into it, but basically we get to start to say, here's why it looks like this and that, and not me being defensive, right, because often so much the posture becomes... Right, the, the board saying, you should have done this, and the superintendent saying, well, you know, no, I, but this was enough. But it's more like, what's our reasonable, under, what's our shared understanding of what is reasonable mm -hmm. consultation? And, and I, don't know, I just feel like it's just the, the focus of the conversation having this framework as opposed to just our yeah, and, opinions. And, that grounded is, in that. and that's the intention, is for that conversation to happen, just ensuring that it's actually grounded in what the board has said as priorities, not things that are not what the board has said as priorities. This is really useful. Um, I think I, were you trying to jump in here? I did. So I so what when you were um, what what does this look like? Because yeah. um, President Lamb brought up the example of the LCAP, and so like we're talking about all the things that this budget is going to be communicating to us. So what what is it that we are actually going to be seeing? Because it has been, and it still is required. You know some piece of it has to be documented in the LCAP, which you described as a managerial document, not a governance document. But presumably, there needs to be some documentation of what the goals are and what the activities and the through line of budget to those activities to meet those goals. Um, the LCAP will, is supposed to be at least some of that. So I guess like what what is it that we would be reacting to um, as a board and at what time in that three to five month period? So regarding the LCAP, it's still the exact same standards. You know, what have we set in our goals? Right. What have we set in our guardrails? Yeah. Um, and it's still the exact same task. He has to go out and get it done in a way that honors your guardrails, in a right. way you know, that furthers your goals. And so it's, it's the exact same conversation. It's just a different document. But what is, 
the because you you were like if the I mean your your response to the to the LCAP as a doc a budget as a document that the board should be reviewing and voting on was fairly dismissive. Yes. So what is it that we should be voting on and reviewing that does satisfy all the things that in here? Uh, the, the LCAP is one, the budget is another, uh, superintendent evaluation is another, board self-evaluation is another. There are going to be a bunch of key decisions you all have to make every year. It's just a normal part of your operations. And for all of them, essentially this same thought process of you know, what is the priorities we've given to the superintendent, and then the superintendent communicating what are some of the core assumptions behind that, the superintendent doing engagement. Um, in a way that's consistent with your values, with the community's values, and then coming back to you with a product, then you all evaluate that product against the goals and guardrails that you've set, and then once you're convinced that there is alignment, and your job is to crunch everything that he brings in front of you to ensure that it is in alignment with this community's vision and values. That, that is a critical part of the governance function, is every single thing that comes in front of you you were beating on it, beating on it, beating on it to figure out where is there not alignment here. And once you um, are convinced, that once the superintendent has convinced you that alignment exists, then you vote on it. That's going to come up in virtually every major decision you make every year that you're on the board. Um, and it's just over and over, and it'll feel repetitive you know, by, you know, by the time you've done it multiple times. Okay, I guess, like, functionally, I'm still... I'm still a little bit per perplexed, just functionally, because like even what we talked about earlier, the you know the, the superintendent will share their assumptions about projected expenses and revenue. I mean, like this talks about like mm -hmm. including enrollment ex expectations. So, so are we anticipating? And you know, maybe this is the governance calendar. Like, is the governance calendar then going to be aligned with all of these steps? And at the end of it, we get to the budget. Because to Commissioner Alexander's point earlier. Typically what's happened is two weeks before a budget needs to be adopted, we get, you know, the first reading. Yeah. And so, and that's when all of a sudden there's the unveiling of presumably the work that's been done. So, so, um, so it's our responsibility as a board to be moving through a process that's going to be informing us yeah. about the budget, and it's also the superintendent's responsibility to be, and, and, the, and the board, the calendar has to be, reflective of the needs of the decision making. Yeah, so there, there are two things about calendaring. Uh, one is up until this point, I think actually ending in this month, I provided you all with a, a board implementation timeline and it articulated, hey, you should do this here, you should do this here, you should do this here. Um, and so now what my team and I are working on is we're going to revamp that thing and bring it back to you uh, out over probably the next 18 month period. Um, and so we think that calendaring um, and being a titular about how you spend your time is uh, deeply important for governing teams. So we're going to refresh that document and bring it back to you. You all will have to do whatever tweaks to it and then decide uh, to adopt it. And then that will govern how my team supports you all going forward. And key things like budget are absolutely on that document. So that's one part of calendaring. A second part of calendaring that you can't do yet, but that will be critical and then eventually get folded in, is your monitoring calendar. The only reason you don't have that yet is because you don't have your interim goals and interim guard goals yet. Once those are available, mm -hmm. then uh, the, board, the superintendent's team will be able to analyze when data is available, you know, when are those assessments actually uh, administered, and then when is data back and it has a chance to be cleaned and analyzed and then provided to the board. Um, so 
once we've got all the interims locked down, then you also have a board monitoring calendar that will go on the implementation timeline I give you as well. It'll be folded in. Um, but then you'll see each month, here's the specific slices of our goals, here's specific slices of our guardrails that we'll be monitoring. And so there is a larger calendar that you absolutely don't have. Uh, one, because we're just ending the last one that I gave you, and, and so then I'll give you the next one and you have to adopt that one. And two, the monitoring portion of it, you just don't have because you don't, you, there's no way to have it until the interims are complete. Okay, and, and that is publicly available, would be publicly available? All of these are public documents. So then therefore, there's also, as far as being in service to the community, the community is aware of what we have committed to as yeah. far as what we're going to release and when. Absolutely. And so if those deadlines are missed or whatever. If you all don't do your job, becomes, people will know, and as well they should. Agreed. Okay, so this is helpful because it was feeling very abstract. like other than the LCAP was? Yeah, one of the great things about having the monitoring calendar is, uh, is some, eventually somebody will come to you, hey, you know, I heard you all were trying to do something about math. When, you know, how come you aren't talking about math this month? You should be able to pull up a copy of the calendar. Well, we're not talking about math this month because we're actually talking about literacy this month. We'll be talking about math next month. Why don't you join us for that board meeting? Um, and so it's really great to have that monitoring calendar because then you can articulate to folks, yeah, not only are we, we're not, it's not nebulous whether or not we're focused on the priorities. Here is in real time when we'll be focused on it, and we invite you to come out and join us for that. And, and when do you anticipate this? So the monitoring calendar is at all times a function of the interims. So okay. the monitor. So, so there's. So when do we <laughs> anticipate this? Well, I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, we were just talking about this. I mean, we're going to start monitoring. Um, I mean, it's starting January, right? We have a January. We'll, we'll do a we'll do a test we'll model this session. This year's practice, okay. kind of, and then next year, next year is when we really. You'll you only have baseline data this year for uh, a number of these okay, things. Okay, but we'll have like a calendar, a governance calendar in yeah. January. Yeah. Because the interims will. Well, be... Well, no. When will the interims be done? Interims. Yeah. Um, yeah, January. Okay, so then uh, usually after the interims are, fin are final, it usually takes them, you know, the following month that they have a calendar. So if the interims are final in January, I'd expect to have a calendar uh, in February because uh, that's just a function of, you know, when is data made available. Um, so, yeah, if you, so that means it sounds like as long as you um, land on interims in January, you should have a monitoring calendar by February, um, and then you start doing that. The first few months of that, are just going to be for practice, um, and I'll, uh, whether I do it via Zoom or in person, uh, we'll actually give you a sample monitoring report and we'll actually practice on it uh, so that you can just kind of start building the muscle. Um, goal monitoring for the, at the governance level is significantly different than uh, the type of progress monitoring that some of you have probably done in your other um, positions. And so we'll take two or three months to just practice and get you up to speed, but then that'll also give the administration time to iterate through. Their first monitoring report will not be their last monitoring report. They're, they'll be on an iteration process as well. And so I would expect, you know, normally, you know, that's, you know, you know four to six months down the road of finally having this is the monitoring uh, report format that we're going to use consistently going forward. But there, there is a lot of trial and error in the first few months of this, and it's, it's just the normal startup of this process. Wait, so I, just, I just want to clarify, because I can tell that we're, we're being clear on the expectation. Because we're, we're, you're talking about a monitoring calendar. I think you're talking more about a governance calendar. 
I have put together. Both. Both. No, we're talking about both. Yeah. Right. Well, so like, so. You know, I, I've been calling it an implementation timeline. Okay, but I guess like you know, I mean, I, we I've shared with you all like here's where I see the year year going. It's not finalized, but like, you know, that says like in March, you know, we're we're going to be talking about our literacy plan. Mm -hmm. Like, does that go? You know, so that's not necessarily, well, we actually are going to talk about, we talked about this today, in the context of our monitoring report. Um, but then, let me give another example. I mean, like, we have the budget workshop in February. Um, what's another? Uh, yeah, the, the oh, like, so, like, we need to, you know, we, we have the high school task force updates, right? Like, the, that's neither this, that, that's, that, that's, that's what I'm saying, like, a governance calendar lays out yeah, the, the main topics of board meetings for the next six months. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and there's the monitoring calendar on your. And so, so, so all topics. so all of those type of topics I would put on the monitoring calendar. So when I when I give you a you know, simple monitoring calendar for your team to okay. uh, work on, you'll see that those type of things you'll go on there. Uh, so basically, the monitoring calendar is covering. Here's what we're going to spend board meeting time on. Um, and the intention is the majority of that is monitoring, but other activities that we'll be spending board meeting time on is in there as well. The implementation timeline that I put together has you know, what is the big picture of all of the different governance activities the board's engaged in, um, including, for example, if you have ad hocs that are doing work, you know, that'd be on that timeline as well. Yeah. So just to affirm that the interim goals, because superintendent, you had not that the board approves them, but you had um, presented them and gotten some engagement from them. Mm -hmm. So I think just to affirm that in January, you would be bringing those forward? Yeah, so I present, and so I'm engaging with people right now, like, yeah, I have a superintendent fellows group, we were looking them over, and so, um, yeah, so then the idea was to show, here's update, changes I have from what I presented in, 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 uh, in October, and the, the hesitation you're getting—I was going yeah. we're getting too into the weeds. Fine, bringing that forward. The hesitation you hear is that uh, you know that like we were just talking about for the interim goal of um, literacy. We even had this talk in the. I don't know that by January the the we're going to need to be talking in our literacy plan what literacy assessments we're using. Right, so if the, I know I'll have an interim goal on literacy, and I'm going to talk about the benchmark, but our benchmark might evolve what we're using when we actually get into the real monitoring of 23-24. That's just where you're hearing the, head, the, the hesitation. Yeah, yeah, it's likely like, I'll bring it in January, but some of it still might change because we're developing a literacy plan yes. that might shift what uh, you know assessment we use. That's what. I'm, that's that's the. And at this, and at this point in the process, that's entirely normal. Okay, so I just have a comment to yeah. that specifically. Um, hopefully, our coach will check me if it's in the operations piece. But I do think, as an example to that, that is really important to be able to um, tie back to, even if it's the plan, your assessments, to be very, to really signal then in the coming months for the following school year what that is. Because I have to name in the community right now, there's a lot of, um, you know, excitement, anxiousness around actually the, the district delivering on those promises. Um, and then furthermore, that would also then 
be our you know our role to inquire around that budget allocation because the assessments of getting towards that goal is going to be important just as an example mm -hmm. all right <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to name is I don't want to have another year go by mm -hmm. yep. and us saying oh, give us another year, we couldn't get it into the budget, and then that's a missed opportunity of another year of making progress for our, our earliest learners. That's no, an I, I totally hear that. And the, this is exactly why about 20 minutes ago I was saying the healthy thing, because totally hear that. And so that's what I mean. We're going to need to decide, make some decisions around either literacy practices or assessment. You want, then, then when I come and I'm going to say, here's what I could reasonably engage, here's how I could reasonably engage in meaningful consultation in three months, as opposed to 12 months, right? So, because that's where I, I would be tempted to say law, because I, you know, the, the, that's where the tempt, we need to make decisions. The temptation will be to put it off because we want to engage more and more people. But um, we'll find it, I'll come with something reasonable, but in three months, you know, it's gonna, we need to decide these things. And towards that, though, is then your rationale and evidence around, quote, the trade-offs. I think yeah. being really explicit, mm -hmm. right, that if we want to engage in a longer what is reasonable, then this is the risk. And us being clear and communicating also with the public, because we're representatives of the community, to what that trade-off will be. Yeah, and that would be the, board, the board's decision. If the board wants to say, we are owed this and we're owed it on this timeline, but given the trade-offs we've heard from you as a board, we're comfortable continuing to be in the dark from a data perspective for X number of months. That is a decision that is, is within the board's authority, you know, to essentially lend some clemency and say, you know, instead of coming back to us with this, which uh, we should have in April, we understand that you're going to take more time. We're comfortable not knowing about this thing until September. Uh, the board, that, 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 the that, that is within the board's authority. Or, or not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and to say, no, sir, in fact, get it done. Yeah. Uh, recognizing that there will have to be uh, edits and iterations later on, but get it done now. Uh, that's an entirely appropriate uh, position for the board to take. I'm, okay, I'm, last struggle um, is, well, for the moment, um, venue, because we're talking about the budget. It is the superintendents creating the budget, responsible for the budget, yet the, the venue continues to be the boardroom for so much of the decision-making, whether it's literacy or budget or I don't know, like any number of things. So what I'm... Um, what I'm seeking is some demonstrable or some demonstration where we have staff contacts and that and the, it's not just coming through the board when we don't direct staff and we don't work here full time. And so, so it's great to have a governance calendar and monitoring that, we, that we're doing as a board because that is our responsibility, but it needs to go in conjunction with clear ownership and ways to engage and get information um, from staff. And so, and I'm still, you know, I'm still waiting, we, we did the governance committee, and I'm still waiting for the designees and the, you know, the, man the management of 
what the concerns are and the monitoring. And What's the system for that? This, the system yeah. and of getting our agendas out earlier, which was is very much a part of building trust. And so I'm feeling, as a board member, increasing pressure to because of what we have done to on our part, and I said this from the dais earlier, on our part, but the reciprocity is feeling slower than what uh, I, yeah. as one board member, um, had hoped for, even though there was progress being made. And so I just want to name that the pressure still lands on the board because that is how things have been historically. That's right. That's right. And it's not changing noticeably from staff. You're still the designee for just about everything that I can think of, other than the command sender. I mean, I'll say, uh, uh, yeah, I, I hear that, and I mean, that was going to be, well, uh, I hear that, and rather than invoking a state of emergency, I'll just follow up with more communication about where we are with this. Well, well no, hold on, that's not what I hear saying. What I, then maybe I misunderstood. Where's staff? Why are we still the point of contact? For everything other than the command center like when is it if we're going to go through this budget process i can't answer questions about literacy math the high school task force any number of things that i get asked about every day and i and i don't know what the what the, the whatever the ledger or the the system is that was going to be developed from the governance calendar we still are getting our agendas you know five at 5 p.m the day before a special meeting like I just, we're still the most accessible. See, but that's where, uh, like, so, so so putting through. aside, the, the agendas one is what I was invoking, you know, state of emergency. But when you're saying, it's so like literacy, it, so I think I, I hear what you're, uh, I think I hear what you're saying to some extent on the, maybe the designee, but like literacy, I mean, you know, our head academic officer has, is meeting with SF Parents Coalition, has okay. met with Innovate Public Schools, has met with Parents for Public Schools, is meeting, is meeting, I mean, there are, you know, we're not expecting you to respond when you get the email around, um, you know, what are you doing with the literacy plan, right? We, we have responses to that. So that's where I'm not, uh, are you saying the response should be from, on the email that you see, it should be from Dr. Priestley, not from me. I mean, that... I guess I'm just saying that as we go through this this budgeting process, like, I am still grappling with, I am grappling with um, the, the partnership with staff, the visibility of staff, um, and also just being aware of who are the staff designees that are leading various elements of these initiatives that we can direct people to and who are providing us updates on a regular basis, you know, to goals or providing you. I mean, if it comes through to you, that's totally fine. But it feels, it's still, it's feeling very ad hoc. And I mean, the governance thing, we were supposed to have staff designees and there was elements of that and a system on the back end. And so I'm just wondering how that conjoins with this budgeting process because um, it still feels like it, it still feels very much the same. Well, I wonder, I don't know if it's helpful, but I wonder if how much of this is connected to the reorganization and kind of how central office and upper management is organized. And because I think there's also this piece around 
again, thinking of the zero-based budgeting concept, right? There's what's happening at school sites, and then there's like the central office, and we have a report coming out um, next month from the city around that, and I know you've been thinking about this, and so I don't know if, uh, I guess I, part of, I've been a little bit kind of like expecting that th that was gonna happen sooner too, but then it sounds like like this this process is unfolding, and I think there's, it's clear there need to be some shifts there. So the, once, yeah. Once that, but that, again, I don't, I guess that's where one of my questions from a governance perspective yeah. is, clearly that affects all of this, right? Like if we don't have a well-organized and well-staffed top management structure that's that's not bloated, that is competent, you know, all those things I think that we've talked about, it, it, it impacts all of this, but it's not directly, I decided, mm -hmm. I yeah, so um, I generally, you know, encourage, you know, some amount of, you know, generosity and, you know, patience and, you know, recognition. There's a lot going on. Um, however, you know, this is not one of those areas uh, that I would encourage any of that. Um, the superintendent has, um, by my recollection, I believe, given a timeline of deploying all of those systems starting in January, that you're going to start experiencing um, your, um, for your regular meetings that you'll get information 12 days out, um, that there'll be a system in place for um, how constituents can express concerns and all those things, that there'll be a list of you know, designees so that when people come to you, uh, you'll have an idea of, kind of what is the navigator role that you can play of identifying them. Uh, my recollection is that the superintendent represented it. you should have those things in January. I would not encourage um, a whole lot of generosity in that timeline. Like I think the superintendent said you can have those things for you in January. I think those things need to be provided to you in January. Um, and so I definitely appreciate you know, your desire, your, no, your was, inclination to be patient. Uh, but, but on that I would not, I would not in, be inclined to patience only for exactly the reason you said, that if those things don't come online in January, you stay the frontline office, you know, ombudsman for the school system. And that is not helpful for your students, it's not helpful for your families. And so, I, and so if, if those don't materialize, um, I, I would surface that and I wouldn't be patient about it. Um, on a separate note, we intentionally made the agenda changes attached to your regular meetings, not all of your meetings, but I encourage you to consider uh, reviewing that and do you want a separate standard, uh, not the full standard that applies to your regular meetings, but maybe a slightly separate standard that applies to even meetings like this. So for example, I realize the law says 24. I would encourage you to have an absolute minimum of 72 hours. Mm -hmm. Absolute minimum. And if there's some, on, the, the frequency with which there will be something that can't sit for three days, it'll be, it, that is very infrequent. Uh, and, and so I, I do not recommend um, you know, making your habit uh, 24 hours, even though that is a statutory uh, limit. I'd recommend you know, considering going back and saying, you know, for board meetings, we're going to put out the material for the boards. If it is you know, something we have to do, on a super tight turnaround, then at minimum we'll make sure the board members have you know 72 hours that they have three days so that you have material. So we intentionally did not attach anything like that um, to meetings like this. So even after January, this scenario could still come up. 
so maybe that's something you all consider is making that modification. Um, but if I was looking for an absolute minimum for all meetings, my minimum would, recommendation would be 72 hours, um, even in the event of uh, things that are urgent. Only in the event of if we don't do this 25 hours from now, you know, super bad things happen. Um, and if super bad things happen every 25 hours more than a few times a year, that's a managerial, either really bad luck or managerial leadership problem. I just want to jump in. I hear, and I think the, the reason why we did that, and, I, and I'm hearing tonight they said that we made a distinction because typically in this, like this special session and the workshop was, um, and like the workshops we did, like the student outcome workshop, there's not an action you need to take. But I, I mean, I think what you're speaking to is you needed to take an action that both you and the public have 24 hours to, to review. To just read it. We did, you know, so, yeah, so that's helpful. So, you know, we made the uh, administrative decision to bring this now because we wanted to move forward with this. Uh, I'll, I'll reflect, could this, have, could this have, maybe should this have waited to the 13th because even if it, even if it, uh, uh, even though that's not 12 days in advance, you would have gotten it on the Friday because our next board meeting is the 13th. But, you know, we're trying, you know, so again, I, I, that was a trade-off there that we haven't discussed, um, but I'm hearing, you know, even on special sessions, that, that I think the caveat idea is that if it's an action item, that's the kind of advance notice that's needed even for our special sessions or our workshop. If something gets tacked on that's an action item like that. Because this was, this meeting was set up. Was set a long time ago long time. without an action item. Exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah, you know, because of, you know, with the state of emergency, we move forward with this amendment tonight. So we've so part of the reason that we're even having this conversation is because there are concerns. I think valid concerns, you know, just around what is the process going to look like. The process in your first year of implementing this work of saying we're going to be rigorously focused on student outcomes is always rough. The first cycle, the first full cycle, you go through it. The monitoring reports, you know, that whole process is going to be particularly painful for you and your staff. So just just plan for that. Like come in, you know, with the expectation. I think it was. You know, a Buddhist theologian has said all of human suffering is born of unmet expectations. Expect that this will be rough, and that will hopefully minimize your experience of suffering around it. Uh, but th this, this is normal. In the first year, it's always rough with this. Um, and so that's what I hear you know, some of Laney's you know, concerns around is, is this going to, in fact, get better? So some of the things that you're expecting are slated to come online in January, um, but I would be vigilant about ensuring that they, in fact, come online in January. I'm building a record. So, I mean, I bring, this, I bring this to you all because, like, out of support and love for the district, it's, not, it's to build it, not to break it, and I want to do better yeah. by our students. We all want to do better by our students, but we have to be accountable. And we hear that loud and clear from, I'd say, one of the values that's not on here that I, that I hear loud and clear is accountability, like a real demand for, um, you know, support for what we say, but a real demand for accountability around what we do. And so if we're going to change and come together as a board, it's, it's the doing that I'm most concerned about, not the saying. So... Yes. Just, I think, to build on that, too, I think a little bit, at least from my experience, it, it, it feels like there has been a lack of willingness to fully be transparent and communicate within the district about why we make our decisions and the justifications for them. 
And a lot of things, at least to me, has felt like they've kind of standed up on like the expertise of the superintendent or their designees, even when other logic isn't necessarily available for the conversation. Yeah. And so I think going through this process will allow for that to be a little bit more transparency and explanation. I think one thing that always is struggle for me during um, the budgeting process is the different sites that reach out to us about things that happen to their budget mm -hmm. kind of near the end of the cycle and they're trying to respond to it and how many schools feel isolated and targeted when a lot of them are experiencing the exact same situation and there isn't any clear direction from us as a district about why we're making these decisions, why we're impacting the school sites like that. And I think I'm really interested in how that shifts and really relating to like the convincing of the board part of really kind of making the clay, the, the, the case for why the path that the superintendent has kind of crafted is the right one. Because I think ultimately we might not all agree on it, but we can all at least I think fall back on the narrative, the story and what's gonna be produced. And I also think part of what we're talking about here and how I guess we, we recognize it is like, what does it look like to hold the superintendent accountable? What does it look like for us to ensure that they're doing all the things that we have set up and established for them to do separate from the budget cycle? Because I think for us, if the budget vote in support or not is an evaluation of the superintendent, we've all failed, right? And like that is that's the opposite right. of what that's we want to do. That's what I was trying to say. I don't want to get to that point. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think for us, too, figuring out how we go into this new year, understanding the limitations that are still somewhat new superintendent has had, but also like the fire that we want to keep yes. under his feet to keep achieving and producing and giving us the results that we want to see. All of that. Uh, the point that you made um, as part of that is that uh, what I heard you say is a critical piece for this that helps get at the accountability piece. It helps get at making sure the community has an experience of how its representatives are holding the administration account is the superintendent's role of convincing the board. Um, that, and again, the intention that you aren't coming in uh, default convinced, you know, but part three in this process is you actually have to, the superintendent has to take on the proactive role of my board is by default not convinced. And I can't go in and say, but I'm the guy. Um, <laughs> that instead, the superintendent, in fact, has to bring forth you know, something that shows here. here Here's what I interpret this to mean, and here's the evidence that I'm relying on that this is, in fact, uh, the way that we need to go in order to uh, accomplish the needs. This is completely different. You will experience it differently. You'll experience it differently. This is completely different than how most budget process goes by boards. And I think that's part of why most boards across the country are uniformly dissatisfied with the budgetary process. Because at the end of it, I know that there are X dollars in bucket Y. But that's all I know, and that's deeply dissatisfactory. Um, and so that's. I don't even know what fucking Yeah, I don't know And so, so that's why the third part of this is so critical, is that the next layer of this is after the board has had time to engage in inquiry. The superintendent has to be able to deliver and say, look, here's here's the evidence. Here's what I'm laying out. Here's why we're going this way. The, another reason this is particularly important. Because your superintendent, all superintendents, have to make really tough decisions. And in a place with, what do you got, 10,000 employees? That means at any given time, you know, even if only 1% of your employees are dissatisfied with the superintendent's decision, that's a lot of people over there you know, at the microphone. 
even if only 1% of your staff is dissatisfied, there's a lot of people you know, expressing frustration with that. And what you need as board members in order to you know, res be responsive, uh, to do your job as representing the vision of the community, is you need to have something to say to them. It's like, no, actually, here is the rationale um, that uh, is what the superintendent is relying on. Here's the evidence. Uh, that is reasonable evidence to me. <laughs> You know, fair, is that exactly what I would do if I was a superintendent? No, probably not. But is that a reasonable approach and the superintendent has provided evidence of the reasonable approach? Yeah, it is. And this is why we're going with it. You deserve to be able to have that conversation with your constituents. You shouldn't have to be bumbling around trying to scratch up a justification for why you voted for the budget. You, you should already have that in hand. That's why it's critical that the superintendent needs to put in the work and design the work around convincing the board that there is alignment. And I just, just back to this thing around effective decision making, I think another indicator if the superintendent has engaged in meaningful consultation, it's not that there will be nobody up there complaining, yeah. but it'll be minimized, right, if he's done the kind of thing that Mr. Shu was talking about, right? You won't have teachers up there saying, wait a minute, we know what literacy looks like, and the superintendent's proposing to do the opposite, right? That, if that happens, to me, that's a piece of evidence that, that, that the, perhaps there was an issue with the meaningful consult consultation. And so I think that's where, you know, just in terms of being, us being able to engage in this process, so, so that hopefully we don't arrive at that. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't consider that meaningful evidence, evidence that there was a meaningful consultation is long if the superintendent said, hey, I went out, you know, you know, I and my team went out, we did this listening, we heard these three visions for literacy. We're choosing this vision for literacy. You're going to hear people argue for this vision and this vision, and here's why we didn't choose exactly. that. Yeah. And so if people are mad because their, their vision for literacy wasn't chose, that's not problematic to me. If the superintendent knows that there are competing visions and can articulate why a particular vision was chosen over others, that's what I would. Exp that's what it would take to convince me if I was still sitting in your seat. I agree, and I think that that would also help people because I think that's what I hear is people feel like they weren't even consulted. Weren't they didn't, they, never they had weren't a voice. Listen to yeah. Right? So I, and I think people are okay with that. Nobody expects us. I think people understand that we're as decision makers. We're going to make tough decisions sometimes. Yeah. But I think the, the thing is, people want to be listened to. Absolutely. And be part of the process. Yeah. Other reflections well, also, on this. I will say, and we also want the superintendent to bring forward his best thoughts right. based upon hearing yeah. all of those yeah. rather, well, than, uh, yeah. rather yeah. than all the options. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, that, but that's why, I mean, I, I, I've read yeah. it as intentional that the guardrail is, will meaningfully consult. Right. It's not that we'll make a decision based on who said the most. No, right. We'll you defer decision-making authority to, yeah. yeah. And, and Lenny's point is also well-made, is that I think it's entirely reasonable for the superintendent to come back and say, here, is, I heard this vision for literacy, I heard this vision for literacy. Here's why this is the one we're going with. Um, if the superintendent came back and said, I heard these three competing visions, what do y'all think? Uh, that is a failure of superintendent leadership. Right, right, exactly. I think you should divide your salary by seven. Uh, yes. Did you have some? I just said Rochelle. <laughs> <laughs> I'll save you as a chance. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that, so that's the work. So, what I wanted, the last thing I want to do. So, we've walked through the process. The last step is, of course, you know, the board actually approves the budget. Um, and what, and board chair, you know, there's a special note for you in here. 
you know, is I, I'd be actively listening for, you know, board members, is there anybody who has, you know, you know, evidence that this budget does not address the goals and doesn't, you know, and that it actively violates the guardrails? I think it's a reasonable thing for the board chair to check in on. Um, and, but if if nobody has evidence of that, you know, if there's like people, no, there's there's a reasonable interpretation and there's evidence to back it up. You know, it's not the one I picked, but it is there. You know, then at that point we're good to, we're good to go. Um, but if somebody has no, it is very clear, you know, that we have said that um, we have to have meaningful consultation, you know, with staff, and there's no evidence that's been provided to us that any staff, you know, uh, were in, were engaged in meaningful consultation. So no, I'm not ready to vote on this. Then as a board chair, you'd be like, okay, soup, what you got? Uh, uh, if there's kind of hesitation around that, uh, really at that point it comes down to. Is there a board majority that feels like the superintendent has not provided uh, evidence you know, of their reasonable interpretation? And if there is, then I think you got to push back. If it's one, two, or even three people, I say the, I say proceed. Um, ideally, it's it's really great to have seven. I, that's that's a good day. Um, and if there's a path, you know, maybe spend some time pursuing it. But if this is going to require, you know, we. You know, we need to have a wholesale redesign because somebody's dissatisfied. I say keep it moving. So that's the whole process. Before we um, let this topic go, I want to invite you to uh, take a moment and write down. Imagine that you have the budget in front of you. Um, all of you have kind of lived through the budget cycles, even if not as board members. Imagine you have the budget in front of you. What's one question that you think you might ask? And I want to throw some actual questions on the table and just see if they're calibrated um, and you know, do some work with uh, potentially massaging them as needed. So everybody just take a few moments, and whether on paper or on your device, write down between one and three possible questions that you might want to ask when the budget is in your hands. Take a few moments and write down between one and three questions that you might actually want to ask when the budget is in your hands. I'll give you a few moments to write down some of your potential questions, um, and then we'll dive into some of them to, uh, to see um, how well calibrated they are to the process we've just walked through.
Some folks are still typing away. That's great. Keep doing that. What I would encourage you, uh, we won't get to all of your questions, obviously, because uh, i got to go find something to eat at some point. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll get to several of your questions. Any questions we don't get to, my invitation, feel free to email them to me, and then we can debrief about them uh, <laughs> offline. So who will toss out the first question? Uh, what's an example of a question uh, you might ask? OK, I feel like I asked this last budget cycle. but. Um, and maybe this is a little presumptive, but uh, how will these budget reductions affect our ability to fully serve students? All right, how will these budget reductions affect our ability to fully serve students? Did I hear correctly? Yeah. All right, board members, um, to what degree is that uh, inquiry aligned with the process? Yeah, I don't think it's aligned with our questions around the goals that we've set. Okay, don't think it's particularly aligned directly to the goals. Yeah, what do you think? What I was going to say, I think it could be if maybe it was, um, like I was thinking of one, like, let's, let's say there were cuts, right? And to say something like, you know, the, the tell me how these cuts create allocations that are baseline sufficient to operate all schools while addressing equitable inputs and creating more equity and excellence in student outcomes. That's our corporate That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So, so like linking it directly to the guardrail, basically asking that question, but linking it directly to the guardrail. Yes, absolutely spot on. Um, is that the question itself is a little bit broad, and the and the way to really bring it home is to link it directly to one of your goals or guardrails. Is that the inquiry isn't kind of generic; it is really specific to one of your community's vision and values that you've codified. And so the thing to do is to connect that question directly uh, to that. Uh, I really want to know. You know, as we make these cuts, what impact is that going to have uh, on curriculum instruction uh, that's actually rooted in excellence? Uh, uh, I hear you saying we're going to um, let go the entire curriculum instruction department. How will making that decision in the budget uh, allow us to have curriculum instruction that's rooted in excellence? That, to me, is a very reasonable question to ask. Um, but um, it's reasonable because it is directly grounded in uh, the vision and values that your communities articulated and that you've codified. Uh, thank you, by the way. I always appreciate folks who go first. So thank you for throwing up the first question. Who will offer up the next question? Yeah. Um, how and where does this budget allocation X support goal one, two, or three? Yeah. Uh, so what do you all think? Is that aligned or not aligned? Why, why do you say aligned? Because it reflects um, the board's goals in the question. Yeah. Any, any other thoughts on this? I love <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the, the thing I would nudge for you to get the maximum uh, value for your inquiry is I'd take it one goal at a time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I wouldn't ask that question about all three. I'd say, okay, let's let's start with goal one. Can Tell I me. ask? Because I, I wanted, the reason I, because I actually went back and forth on that in my head, and I was thinking that it may be that the budget allocation is specific to just one of them. And so by asking about, uh, okay, this allocation, Dr. Wayne could say, oh, yes, this, is for, this relates to college and career readiness. Oh, I see the question you're asking. Yes, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Uh, I'm, I was thinking about the question differently in my head. I see what you're asking. And yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, did you want to jump in here? Hey, well, yeah, yeah. 
kind of tagging on that, I had, I had written that same thing, but as I was putting the question together, I wanted to insert the progress piece um, because if we look at the highest level, we chose to you know, choose universal goals, but when we look at the interim goals, even though we don't approve them, the progression is really important, like the end of year kinder readiness, for example. And so I wanted to insert something about the progression. How do you, you know, how is this budget resources funding delivering on the progression of goals? Do you mean for the interim goals in that case? Could we name on the interim goals? Can we, is that? Yeah, interim goals are going to be fair, you know, game in this conversation. Okay, so interim goals and interim guardrails will be fair game in this conversation. Great, because I think for me, that's a, another thing, kind of raised a theme, right, tonight, is that I don't want us to, like, blink three years down the road, and they're like, oh, well, actually, we weren't monitoring the budget investments that are going into interims, and now we're going to, you know, we've kind of missed an opportunity. Yes. I, have a I can I, I, you know, I can hear this question being asked and be curious. Yeah. The, I, I, the way you seem to be setting this up, this seems like it would be a legitimate question. Um, you know, budget comes forward, there's public comment, and you know, how um, you know how does the fact that this school needed to reduce this staff member who's working with this small group of students for literacy? meet our goal of third grade literacy? Yeah, so one of the distinctions that we haven't talked about yet and that we'll get into, um, we're scheduled to get into, we're doing practice monitoring in January 10th. Uh -huh. So we'll get into this in January 10th. We're gonna do a, pro a practice monitoring session. And one of the pre-read materials that you receive for that is a document labeled technical, tactical, strategic. And what it's looking at is what's the difference between questions that are of a technical nature, questions of a tactical nature, and questions of a strategic nature. Get, of those three, guess which one's goal-setting conversations to be based on? Oh, yeah, strategic. this would be a strategic conversation. And so, is that the same for budget conversations, does it? That's what we're talking about, for budget. Oh, you said goal-setting conversations. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah, I meant for budget, uh, for budget setting conversation, this should be a strategic conversation. Um, by the way, for goal setting, it should also be a strategic yeah. conversation. Uh, for superintendent evaluation, it's, you know, this the board governance operates at the level of strategy. Uh, there is some amount of technical information and tactical information that's helpful for you to have, uh, but as you'll see, um, my coaching to the board, uh, whoever is facilitating a monitoring session, is um, brand new technical and tactical conversations at the dais should be you know, ruled out of order. It's like, actually, that's a really good question. Uh, I hear you wanting that question about this particular teacher, this particular school. That's not really strategic, that's a tactical question. Uh, superintendent, can you get that to us, you know, in the next update, um, and then you move on to the next one. But you don't uh, deal with out of the blue, uh, you know, with rare exception, you don't deal with out of the blue technical and tactical questions at the dais. And so generally what I coach board members to do is when you have technical and tactical questions, technical questions, how are things measured? Okay, uh, and I'll go ahead and send this document out to you all uh, now so that uh, you'll have it you know, in advance of January. Um, but technical questions are really around what's, how the measurements of things. How do we know that this is a valid 
measure, uh, what percent of students who are actually assessed on this? Like, is this representing all students? Those are technical questions. Tactical questions is about how are staff people doing things, how are individual classrooms or individual schools doing things. Um, those are you know, the tactics of the school system. Strategic is really around what is our approach at the system, uh, at the level of the school system, you know, for uh, accomplishing, um, you know, whatever it is we're trying to accomplish. And so those type of questions will come up. Um, but because it's a ta that specific one, it's clearly, clearly a tactical question and not a strategic one. Uh, the director, the correct response from whoever's facilitating the meeting at that moment, which in the case of the budget, almost certainly going to be the board chair, should be great question. It's a that's more of a tactical question. Ask the superintendent to uh, you know, get us an appropriate answer in the next uh, Friday update that they send out. Uh, who has the next question? And then you just and then you just move on. Um, the the coaching for board members is if you have technical and tactical questions, ask them before the meeting. Like if knowing the percentage of students who were assessed by this particular assessment is critical to your understanding of it, then have actually done your job, do your homework and ask in advance. That's part of why I'm so hardcore on a minimum of 72 hours. That's also why I'm so hardcore on getting your stuff 12 days in advance. Is because realistically, you're going to need that 12 days. Realistically, you're going to need that in order to get your technical and tactical questions in advance. Exactly. That's part of the reason I push that so hard and superintendents look at me like, why are we doing this? That's part of the reason. So you can ask those questions in advance so that at the dais you can be focused on strategic. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that inquiry. Uh, we're going to pass that on to the superintendent and we're going to keep it moving. What question do you have? I have a question that uh, some of these tactical and technical questions, maybe the public want to know too. Yes. And the answers to all of the questions that you ask in advance in accordance with the policies that you adopted will be put on a document that is publicly posted to the minutes or publicly posted mm -hmm. to the board agenda. And so all of the questions that you ask, technical, tactical, or strategic, and all the answers the superintendent provide will all be provided in writing. Uh, it is absolutely, you, it is not appropriate to have an untransparent approach uh, to, to these conversations. Uh, but frankly, having a PDF that people can uh, search through is going to be a whole lot easier, more transparent for uh, most of your users than having to go back and listen to your entire meeting to try to figure out where the answer was uh, offered. Um, it'll be a much better user experience. Um, the boards that have shifted to this, they don't go back. It's like, yeah, we're not we're not doing it the old way anymore. This is a much better experience for our staff. It's a much better experience for our, for our families. Um, and so, yeah, it has to be transparent. That's the way you accomplish it. You take all the questions that we're asked in advance, all the answers that we're given in advance, put them in a document, attach it to the agenda. Now, anybody who wants to know all of that inquiry that took place, now have access to it. And translate it. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, yeah. Uh, then you've got to make decisions around how, not whether it's translated, but you know, how many languages are we translating. Uh, let's get one more question out here. Who's, who's got a question? Yeah. Um, how did you meaningfully engage the stakeholders outlined in one of our guardrails to help you come to the decisions you've made concerning budget allocations aligned to achieve the board's goals for student outcomes. Yeah, um, and I think you could even be specific. Uh, how did you, what did your meaningful engagement look like relative for, to goal number one? Right. So can I, can I just ask another question though? Because I wasn't sure how to frame it. Because mine yeah. were, I had a couple questions and they were around like what have you, what has, what have we expanded, reduced, or eliminated? And yep. how will those choices positively impact Mm -hmm. students learning 
And then how was zero-based budgeting utilized to ensure maximized alignment to our goals? So like, I've got to yeah. admit, even though coaches aren't supposed to have favorites, my favorite is always the person who did the pre-reading. <laughs> um, and so all the questions that were just uh, offered are, in fact, in the previewing document that we've been going through. Um, and these are absolutely strategic level questions that I would encourage you uh, to ask about. But would you frame those like generally or, I mean, because we're being directed towards specific goals or, I mean, these, but these are generally. So, um, so you can, you can in fact ask them generally. What I'm suggesting, and that's not out of line, what I'm suggesting to you is you will it will give you more clarity to ask them specifically mm -hmm. um, uh, because then you'll get a more specific answer. So, for example, you say, hey, how did we, you know, what things have we, uh, what strategies have we identified that haven't worked uh, to accomplish goal one, uh, you know, that we're walking away from? Um, that's, you're going to get a meaningfully different answer than what are strategies that haven't worked to accomplish our goals that we're walking away from? Mm -hmm. um, and so both of those are perfectly legitimate questions. All I'm suggesting is, Generally speaking, you usually have one particular kind of goal or guardrail in mind, and so just feel free to be specific on one particular if you want. Uh, but yeah, questions about um, you know you know how are the you know kind of what evidence do we have you know that you know that the investment is actually you know, helping us accomplish the goals you know relative to our goals you know what strategies. Are you adding to accomplish goal one? What strategies are being continued? What strategies are being abandoned uh, because they're not helping us accomplish goal one? What are they being replaced with? Like all of these are appropriate strategic level, you know, inquiry to be engaging in. Um, and then the last one that you asked, all the way, um, let's see, where is it? Search for zero. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's in the board, superintendent convinces the board section um, is, the advocacy for the very first time you go through this process um, having goals and guardrails in hand, we do encourage that you consider a zero-based approach uh, to the budgeting, only because the accumulated inertia of expenditures um, is a powerful drain on strategic, strategic intention. Um, and so considering a zero-based approach, I, I don't actually recommend a zero-based approach every single year. Um, but at minimum, the, um, in the first couple of years that you've adopted a set of goals and guardrails, I Can I hear a response on that? Because we've, there was an intention to do that two years ago, and there was staff basically said we didn't have the capacity to do it. So I'm curious if I mean, that's there what I was no just going to say. There were no goals. Well, that's true. Well, no, but I was going to say, I mean, I appreciate that, but I, I do not see that happening in these first two years. I mean, we have, yeah, she's doing an amazing job. We have an interim, you know, head financial officer. We have, uh, you know, half the budget staff, staff and, mm -hmm. you know, reassigned to the command yeah. center, right? Like, uh, you know, yeah. So I don't know. I don't, if it didn't happen two years ago, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. How, it's yeah. Definitely not going to happen. Sure. It certainly, make, it certainly makes sense to me that that's not on offer, you know, for the coming budget cycle. Like if, if the team isn't already on the ground and hasn't already begun that approach already at this point, then it doesn't surprise me that's not an offer for this budget cycle. But, uh, so I, I think that means we're gonna be confronted with a budget that doesn't align resources uh, to prioritize. Uh, true, 
uh, just to put it out there. Uh, and so maybe it's a question of like how aligned is it? Because I just want to be real. Like I don't again, I don't, especially with the public too. Like I don't think we can go in and say, oh, we're going to align our budget to our priorities if we don't do. I would. I don't think if I think if we don't do zero based budgeting, we will not accomplish that. I think has a response. And, and again, I'm. I've shared that. Not cool. I, I understand that we may need to wait here. Uh, so, if, so one thing to think about, and this is advocated for in this document, and I'll come your direction, is that what you're, what the the minimum that you're always looking for in processes like this is is you're looking for trajectory. So you're yeah. not you're not uh, necessarily looking for did we jump from the you know present state to the idealized future state. What you're often asking is, did we make a move in the direction? So maybe it's not, are we going from 50% of our budget to focus on goal one to 50%? Are we going from 15% you know, to 17%? Um, you know, is the trajectory uh, aligned? And so that's the case. The, the, but the second thing I'd say to that is, I generally agree with you, you know, that if you don't uh, make something like that happen as soon as possible, you are going to be, your, your budget will continue to be weighed down by things that are making it harder for you to you know, access you know, the goals. Um, and so uh, I would, th that is not a decision uh, I consider for the board to make. I think it is a decision you know, for the superintendent to make. Um, but the, the thing that I think you have to look at is how much alignment can I actually deliver this board without taking that approach? And let that drive how 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 far off can I you know push that um, without doing irreparable damage to our long term capacity to execute. Uh, but the fact that it's not you know on offer this year that is not surprising um, because folks are already like thinking about it and already moving in a direction. Like you were late for this year, but next year, preferably the year after. Uh, I, ideally sometime soon, but just the accumulated kind of detritus of past budgets will haunt future budgets if you don't address it. I can't promise that this won't be the situation that we're in in a year, but I do think that our multiple attempts at zero-based budgeting were extremely tested and challenged by the fact that we were doing it in order to make really drastic reductions. That I think that it's easier to go through a zero-based budgeting process when everyone, because everyone wants to protect, yeah. right? And so everyone is gonna say that everything they do is core and base <laughs> if they know that saying otherwise means it's probably getting cut. And so I, you know, I can't promise that in a year we won't have, be in a situation where we aren't thinking about what might need to happen to balance our budget. But my hope, I would say, is that if we were going to pursue it and, and, real, and talk about what it would look like to commit to that approach, that I would hope it might not be in such, such a dire circumstance because that really is, I think that is a really big that really informed how people approached the process and made it much more challenging to like take a step back and try to pursue like a true zero-based approach. Um, 
for for this upcoming like for 23 24 um, and we haven't talked about this but some of what is coming to mind for me and how do we make forward progress in articulating what we currently do and how it aligns to the goals and guardrails and, and honors the guardrails is really pushing to articulate and orient our current state to the goals and guardrails, right? Say, like, to contextualize it. Um, because I also would say that unless we're expecting, or like, unless the expectation is that there is really drastic change in six months, then we wouldn't, right? Like, that's, that's what, like, to be ready for that a zero-based budgeting approach for the potential of really, like I just imagine there would be a lot of change or the, the potential for a lot of change. And if, if we aren't ready for six months from now, really drastic changes, then the, the place to start is by articulating, right, as a school goes through a school planning process or as a department goes through its budget development process to think about what am I currently doing, and how is our work currently organized in you know, in the context of the goals and guardrails? Do you have thoughts on this? I have thoughts on lots of things. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't mention them all. Um, actually, I think one of your guardrails is very important here, and that's resource allocation. And yeah. the superintendent will not allow resources to be allocated without transparently you can read them, but. I think in public education, when you approach zero-based budgeting, you have to start first with what are the parameters you cannot change. You have to have, a, in your case, 2% budget. You have to have money to routine maintenance. You have to put money in the deferred maintenance. So you have to have, you have certain statutory things. But I think it's very important, because what I did not hear when you went through that process last year is these are the givens. We have to do this. We have to have, you know, less than 21.37, I have the number wrong, teachers on an average on TK through three for our class size reduction. So if you, you can't start from zero, zero, but zero is your base and then you have discretionary on top of zero it. Zero-ish. Zero, but I, I think the concept's good because Zero has to include the givens. Yeah. The rocks you can't move. The yeah. rocks you can't move. I like that. Yeah. What do you think? Just one thing I think to add in regards to the zero-based budgeting, I think is an approach. I think the thing that I was most interested in seeing, the reason I was most interested in seeing us pursue it when we were was really about how do we get more consistency in the community about what's going to happen if there are reductions. How is there a clear understanding of how our priorities are reflected in our budget and the decisions that are made? Because I think for me, and I feel like a lot of other people, when they see some of the budget decisions, they seem to go directly um, in contradiction to what we're trying to do and accomplish. And that circle is kind of never kind of fully closed to kind of explain how this thing that obviously seems to reduce our capabilities to serve people is helping us reach an objective or how it isn't and how we have to do it for other reasons. And so I think even if we're not able to fully kind of get the zero-based budgeting piece up, figuring out for me the, the area around the transparency, the consistency, the way people can expect for certain things to kind of happen based off how we're prioritizing and just deciding on things versus 
I guess what it ultimately seems like, the board will have the last say in the final decisions and how things are allocated um, versus it being a kind of a more collective decision about what's best for the district as a whole. The only thing that I'll you know, add on to this conversation before we pivot away from it is, um, obviously, in the document, um, I'm offering direct encouragement to the superintendent to consider something of this nature. Part of why I included that in the document, because normally I don't put a lot of managerial device, advice in these documents, but part of the reason I did put it is because it is a very hard, um, is very hard thing to do. Um, and so I, I intentionally put it in there you know, just to offer some amount of cover you know, to superintendents who choose to go that direction. That being said, that is a, uh, I consider that to be a managerial decision. You know, unless you have a guardrail about it, uh, I consider that to be a managerial decision. Um, uh, and if he can find a way to have constantly generate increased amounts of alignment each year without doing that, then more power to you. Um, and you get know. to start achieving the goals. Yeah. Because we spoke about radical change. I mean, we the board has actually demanded radical change yeah. in terms of the outcomes. That's right. So maybe it's possible to do that with non-radical change of the budget. I'm just yeah. yeah. That, that it's on him, um, and, yeah. and he'll and he'll look at it and you know figure it out. So actually. Your team, I don't know if we can get there without doing X, Y, and Z, then he'll figure it out. If he says, I think we can get there without doing X, Y, Z, I think instead we need to do elemental yeah, P, then they'll go do that instead. Uh, anybody else have a question that you were just dying to test before we wrap this thing up? Anybody else have a question that you just, I just really want to see where we go with this thing? Anybody else? Um, I guess, can I just quickly, when we were just talking right now, I was just thinking about um, you know, how we measure impact and efficacy. So, I mean, there's the interim goals and all of this, but like that's one thing that doesn't, like that it hasn't been baked in as a way to just inform how things are working. Um, you know, which students are being served, how are they being served, that kind of thing. And so when it comes to zero-based budgeting it, or, or just even a review of what we're gonna increase or expand or reduce, um, that's a wonder that I have. Yeah. I think tagging on that, um, I forget the exact numbers, but when we, when we look at our overall LCAP, just as an example, even though it's managerial, um, I believe like a very low percentage, comparatively, is less than half, um, half of the percentage that the, we can actually measure the outcomes and impact. So largely it's output driven. Mm -hmm. So I think that speaks to an organizational culture. So to Commissioner Matomini's questions around the efficacy, and this isn't about personalization around individual staff, departments, divisions, not um, you know doing quote their jobs. I think that for what I've seen both serving on the board, being a parent advocate, being a parent period for, within the district, is we have a really hard time saying these are the things we need to quote let go because they're not having the impact. So I think what I'm naming is you, superintendent, were as the board, because we did the community work and engagement, we want to see that accountability in charge. I would say every single one of us have arrived at. So I just want to share that with you, Superintendent Matthews, I mean, um, Wayne, because of Flashback. the work over the years. Um, 
I'm going to add, I'm going to put another pin in there and then we can move on. But like, I, this is also, this comes up for me around the consent agenda contracts because I don't know where this money is coming from, if it's been budgeted, if it's new, if it's, if we're moving funds around. And I also can't, I often in many of our contracts, I don't know which students are being served, how they're being, how we're measuring the it's impactful and, and when it will come up for renewal. Like so, so tightening. When I think about our budget, I actually think there's a lot of opportunity within our contracting to um, to free up some cash. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, so I'm just gonna. Those are contracts that just automatically get ro correct. rolled over every year. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things we did in my last district um, is we added in so the operating procedures that you all just revamped. We added in a. An additional piece that isn't in yours, but we could create something uh, that articulated the board's expectations regarding uh, items that the board's being asked to vote on. Um, and specifically in our case, it said if we're being asked to vote on an item, you know, with you know above with a fiscal impact higher than X, then you know we need to see you know A, B, and C. Um, and so that that's a reasonable thing to bake into your operating procedures. So, for example, one of the things we baked in. Um, if it's a contract renewal over X dollar amount, we expected to see um, an evaluation of the contract um, as one of the items attached to uh, the board item. And if we saw something come up for renewal and there's no evaluation of it, it definitely it wouldn't stay on consent. It would definitely come on a regular. And it, it was very likely that the board would be like, you know, if we haven't evaluated the efficacy of this contract and now we're asking to renew it for another three-year period, like we're not prepared to vote on this, and it would often just get tabled to the next board. He's like, either conduct an evaluation and come back to us, you know, dive into that, or or explain to us why this you know can't reasonably be evaluated in advance, you know, of us determining whether or not to continue. So that that's one example of how we baked into our operating procedures what our expectations as a board were uh, for things with the superintendent brought forward. I know another board went through a similar process, they put in their operating procedures that they wanted to see um, exactly what you mentioned. They wanted to know um, in each board item, which account is this being drawn from, and is this represent, is it, does this represent a move, a tra transfer of dollars from one bucket to another, or is this a bucket, or is this a pre-budgeted amount, and it's just a drawdown on a budget amount. And so that, that's what they cared about, and so they just said automatically for things over X dollar amount, just automatically you know put that in the item so that you know when we get it 12 days in advance, that's just one you know, yeah budgeted budget 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 okay not budgeted, okay it's coming from okay I got it and then if you want to ask a question about it, you got 12 days in advance to ask a question about it, and so um, what I would encourage you all to do to the extent that this is a concern for you. Um, I just spend a little bit of time thinking about what are the types of kind of reasonable and recurring things that would be helpful to just be baked into the process. You know, staff doesn't have to guess at what you might want. It's just built in. I would not make the board items should not be encyclopedic in nature. I mean, so let's not go wild. Um, but there's this basic reasonable things uh, and at reasonable thresholds. Like I wouldn't do it for every ten dollars, you know. But you know, I you know, I'd be thoughtful about it. Just know that, that that's not an unusual uh, practice. Yeah. I have a question around. Um, is it is it different from what she just asked? It's a tag on it. Okay. Because while I appreciate around this potential practice 
around procedures, around the contracts. My question then is about site-based contracts. Yeah. We have a lot of, and this is, I think, just to be real, this is the balance of a district that has centralized budgeting versus site-based budgeting, right? And so I just wanted to name, get some coaching there, potentially, to kind of understand and think about when we're talking about contract amounts, well, guess what? We have each one of our sites are contracting out a lot of their work. But their so, contracts are probably below the threshold yeah. we would be talking about. Right, but at the same time, though, I guess that's my question, right? Is like you have a portfolio of schools, but what strategy might they be having district-wide, right? So that's just... Yeah, so it, it depends on the accumulation. So um, in my current district, you know, the policy is essentially if there is an accumulated spend with a particular vendor, even if it happened at 10 different disconnected sites, if the accumulated spend system-wide crosses the threshold, then it, it does, in fact, trigger. Trigger an eval. I'm having two conflicting responses to this, this, this conversation. One is, I totally agree with you, and in my previous district, we did not have clarity in, in contracts, and I've, I've, um, we, we created a few processes that I've actually shared with people here and, and shown, like, yeah, I think it'd be helpful to have this. So on one hand, like, yeah, you know, that, that, that we, this is a need. The, the conflict is, but I, I feel like I want to ask, I say, okay, now, is this an expectation? And how long do you think something like that actually would take to change? Um, and, uh, you know, like, or is this just a discussion? You know, so there's a lot of there's so many things we could change, right? right. There's a lot of good ideas. We said, I, we're still following up on the ones from the board board mm -hmm. procedures. So part of me wants to say, oh, you know what? Yeah, uh, there's a problem. And, and in some cases, very. I show you the I show you the you know the the, the way it was on the board. You know, yeah, that seems very straightforward. On the other hand, I, I ask that question. I also know it, that's you know will take take you know take a while to change. But so we're throwing yeah. this out here. Is this is this an expectation or is this yeah. just a, a nice to have? Like, it'd be nice to have, but no. So what, what I was recommending is that you don't need to think this through and decide if that's something that y'all want to do. Then you don't need to go through the same process you went through last time of eventually arriving at it. And then my same coaching last time will be: um, anytime you implement something like that, the business systems changes that are required generally take three months, a full quarter to come online. So expect that. But your superintendent raises another point that I should have been vigilant about, so thank you for doing my job for me, which is a question that you also have to constantly be asking as a board is, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is, is the benefit we'll get from this worth the amount of managerial attention it'll take from other things? Uh, and if the answer to that is yes, then you do it. If the answer to that is no, then you don't. Well, that's what I was going to say. I feel like first I want the other thing you were talking about, which is the buckets. <laughs> like, right. you know, X yeah. and bucket Y. And then it's like, once we know what yeah. the contract bucket is, then I think we need to, then it's, we can do a deeper dive in understanding it. But I think at first, this process of the next five months, to me, is really, really important at a high level to be able to say, like, what are we spending? I want to know mm -hmm. how much we're spending in contracts, period. Mm -hmm. You know, because we don't even have that. based and yeah. non-site Right? And yeah. so to get, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. those kind of questions around how are we, yeah. and what are they for, right? And right. in terms of, so it's not just, a, as AJ said, not just a accounting code, but a functional, yeah. Strategic conversation. What is this money being spent on, and, and why? And how is it related to our goals? Right. Right. Yeah. So this is this is the conversation. Uh, I am, uh, as always, grateful to be invited back to join you all for this. I, I hope you felt like 
you understand why we spent time to talk through this, because uh, it's stuff better to sort out on the front end than to get in the middle of and try to wade through. Um, as you have additional questions about um, ideal budgeting process, feel free to reach out to me if it's something that you know we just need to talk to on an individual basis. I'll just make time for a one-on-one. -on -one. But if it's something that really needs to be surfaced, you know, to the level of the full board, uh, then I'll reach out to you know, any board officers to ask, ask for that. Uh, but just know that you can reach out to you know, me and the team anytime for one-on-ones to go through stuff, particularly go through this. Like I said, my one piece of additional homework immediately is I'll get you that technical, tactical, strategic document. It's a one-pager. Um, it's great reading. You'll enjoy it. Um, as always, thank you for your time. Madam Chair, back to you. Thank you. Um, we are going to need to take public comments, so at this time. Um, one um, public speaker in person, Jeff Lucas, you can step to the dais. How long? One, two, two. Hi. Good evening. Um, Jeff Lucas. Um, one thing to start with is the vision, values, goals, and guardrails. I can't find a, a current clean version of that on the website anywhere. Uh, all I see is the October 25th markup version. Um, secondly, uh, secondly is the capacity for the district to make changes um, is, is pretty low. Um, earlier tonight we heard uh, payroll change. That was a mess. I think the budget is bigger and harder. So just, uh, I don't want to say be patient, but start going in the right direction. Um, continuous improvement is not speed, it's a journey of many, 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 many steps. And so start going the right direction. I'll come up with priorities um, and you know, it'll take a long time to get there. Um, next thing is guardrail four. Um, to me, that's the one with the most meat in it. It's, you know, what does baseline sufficient mean? Um, the interim guardrail is uh, going to identify a base allocation for schools by February of 2024. Um, I've been anxious about this for 10 months. I recognize, yeah, really, it's not going to happen this year, um, but we can start making steps towards it. And when I get to the question of, um, that I want to ask is, what is the baseline? And for all the money that is spent above the baseline, where does it go and why? And to put it in perspective, when I, I dug in a lot of details, when I look at the high schools today, sorry, no. So you finish up, finish that. Seven high schools, kids can take seven classes, and six high schools, kids can take six classes. To me, I don't know where the equity is in that. Um, and it's, it's a strategic thing. Same thing happens at middle schools too. And we need to start making progress towards figuring out why that exists and how that um, helps us get to our goals. Thank you. Thank you. Um, for folks on Zoom, if you care to speak to this item, please raise your hand at this time. Can that be repeated in Spanish and Chinese, please? Buenas noches. Por favor, levante su mano si quiere añadir un comentario público. Gracias. Thank you. Thank you.
Seeing none, President Lamb. Thank you, that concludes public comment. I wanted to thank again, AJ, for your coaching and ongoing mentoring of um, the governance team. And thank you to the, um, the team that also uh, provides support and to our fiscal expert, uh, Elliot Deshawn. And thank you to staff for um, the um, presentations tonight, engagement, and um, appreciate you all. So I like to formally adjourn, adjourn our special meeting.